0: Gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not gonna get that man today. No. Because I'm gonna get him!
1: Of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Well, it seems, um, as I spoke on my program at 9 o'clock uh, this morning, 9 to 10 Eastern Time, it seems that Imran Awan, the uh, D- Debbie Wasserman Schultz IT staffer, arrested, arrested, trying to leave the country. Nothing to see here. No, they, they, there's nothing to see here. Imran Awan, IT staffer, having access to over 30. The uh, Congress, uh, congressmen and women. Uh, there are computers, there are networks, there are routers, there are modems, there are hard drives, there are apples and blackberries and blueberries and pineapples. It's all there. Imran Iran arrested. Dallas International Airport. That's right. On bank fraud charges. Uh, On bank fraud
2: charges,
3: and and um, there
2: will be more. The
1: criminal complaint
2: and affidavit said he had bought tickets to fly Monday to Qatar and then also a ticket on Monday to fly to Lahore, Pakistan. Well, that's that's where he's from. um, I think the, like in many cases we see with the FBI, when they're doing criminal investigations, they sit on a charge and uh, wait for something like this to happen where they probably flag them buying the ticket or... Through other means, and said, "Hey, since he's going to try to skirt out of here, we're going to arrest him on uh, what we got on him already." And I so, think it's going to be a lot more than just bank fraud. Oh yeah,
1: person. okay. So so now uh, let's see. We've got Imran, we've got uh, Omar, you have got uh, two other brothers as well, and two wives making five million dollars. Hey, I explained it all between nine and ten this morning. It's on Global Storm BTR Radio, Blog Talk Radio. Explain it all. Five million dollars since two thousand four. That's how much this, these made, these 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 people made as IT staffers. That's just that their IT salary. See, the, the normal IT staffers get about what seventy seventy five thousand per year. Forty three thousand. Okay, yeah. Well, these they, they three are times making, more uh, over three times. Right, more. right. One hundred sixty grand so uh,
2: per per year, and only one hundred people businesses. only one hundred people in the last since two thousand five have made more as a staffer or IT person in uh, the, working in the capital than, than a one has made. Well, that's very interesting.
1: And I'm going to tell you right now, it's because of the pressure that, that the new media has put on uh, the Capitol Police, the FBI, the, the, the Department of Justice, uh, the the exposure this has gotten, Debbie Wasserman Schultz you in my view you are next we are coming for you to make you be accountable for what you've done how you sold this country out you've sold us down the river you've opened up the doors to three top intelligence committees okay You, you have given access to the most to the, to the jihadists, essentially, to the Muslim uh terrorists. That's what you've done, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. That's what you've done, Andre Carson. That's what you've done, Keith Ellison, and the 25-plus other staffers who have used the Awan brothers. That's what you've done. And, and you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised, as I said earlier this morning, I would not be surprised to see that, that the, the, the military mission Where a Navy SEAL was killed, it gets traced directly back to information leaked out of her cabal. Out of these jihadists that that are working, uh, inside our government. They were let in by the Bush administration. They were kept in by the Obama administration. And now they're finally running like rats that they are, like cockroaches that they are. And Wasserman Schultz, you should
2: be next. Should be. I doubt. I doubt anything will happen to her. She's the head of. Was the the head of the DNC until the emails were hacked, and it it was obvious that she helped influence the primaries in Hillary Clinton's favor uh, against Bernie Sanders. And I believe. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to hear this guy hanging in his cell in a few days. Um, or for the story to go Shot off the, the map. Shot in the
1: back of the head. Suicide, maybe. You know one right.
2: thing that's interesting. This story broke about two hours ago. On Fox 5, uh, they tweeted out something, and then about a quarter to to six, we saw a few places pick it up, but I haven't seen it really anywhere. I think maybe, just maybe, let me check, Fox News might have finally posted something about it. But unless you're really looking, uh, you're not going to just find this or come across this on the news, and I think that's going to be kept that way.
1: Look, on my Twitter feed, this is the most unreported story there is out there. I can tell you that right now. This involves treachery at the highest levels of government. This involves the, the Muslim infiltration into our government. This involves complicity with the DNC, specifically W. Wasserman Schultz, who I believe should be in, in prison, orange, along with Hillary. Diane Rodham, the witch, the witch, the yak, Clinton, I don't care if you like that or not, she should be in prison. Now, John Brennan and uh, DNI Clapper, former DNI Clapper, also calling for um, resistance to, uh, to to Donald Trump. Should he dis- decide... Should he decide to fire independent counsel uh, Robert Mueller, who's cozied up, and I talked about this again this morning, who's cozied up with who? James Comey, of course. And he had five, kind of five or six people from uh, uh all donors, all the Hillary donors that that, that all, all connected to the, either the Hillary Foundation or the Hillary campaign that are in Mueller's charge. That's right. How independent is this counsel? What a cluster you know what this is. Okay, I'll have to spell it out. We are going to have tonight with us at the bottom of the hour Austin Brower, and of course uh, our number two, John Guandalo. He's the uh, he's the head of Understanding uh, the uh, Threats Understanding the Threat dot com that is. And yeah, we need to understand the threat. His his book, Raising a Jihadi Generation. Uh, it's a must read because there is a jihadi generation in this country. So, bottom of this hour, Austin Brewer talking about current events and other issues. John Guandalo, hour number two, Stan Dale, hour three, out the door, and then again tomorrow. But uh if you haven't caught our programs nine to ten live, uh I I'm taking care of some sound issues, that was my fault. Apparently I had some settings wrong, you know. I can't do it myself, uh uh Eric can't work, Eric can't babysit me. So, I mean, this it sounds fine. It just sounds tinty, and it, it sounds like it was recorded off of a off of a play school recorder. And then, um, uh, anyway, that will be taken care of tomorrow. And, and folks, then, if you want to get two to two, two shows, shows,
2: two to three, uh, Joe and John, go ahead. On HagmanReport.com, under Listen, what is it, under Listen Now or Listen tab, the drop-down menu, you can get uh, links to both the shows, or if you go to Blog Talk Radio and just do a search, um, the Doug Hagman Show or the Hagman Daily Show, and get to the homepage. You can then uh, click the iTunes button to download either or both shows on iTunes, as well as uh, many other outlets there, and the option to download the show. And you can go to Global Star Channel Three for each show as well for live. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's live on. Uh.
1: Okay, so so we we have oh the one of the Awan Brothers going down, and and that's just the start. Um, now the, the Clinton apparatus needs to be taken out. Of course, uh, the entire Clinton apparatus, the Clinton Obama apparatus. I spoke about American Oversight this morning. I'm not going to re- I'm not going to speak about it again. But American Oversight is the uh, organization started by Obama, and of course Biden and Schumer are attorneys there that um, are fighting the agenda of Obama. You've got uh, all of these people that are within the Beltway that are fighting against the American dream, the American system, the American way of life, our American heritage. By the way, I don't know how many people saw this. Uh, this makes me just want to vomit. Princeton's new man, or men, uh, new men's engagement manager. To combat aggressive masculinity on camp on campus, why don't you just dress everyone in pink uh, tutus? Uh, all all these guys in pink tutus, take their, make them all eunuchs, and uh, give their nuts to their, uh, um, you know, you know to, to their their uh, uh, den mothers or whatever. Uh, seriously, what's up with this? If I, if I was at Piston, uh, yeah, if I was at Princeton, how apt, Princeton. I'd be kicking some butt and taking names.
2: What's a I, men's equipment manager? Is this for sports?
1: Yeah, yeah. They're fighting aggressive, uh, masculinity on campus. They, they, I thought you were going to ask, I'm going to ask you know,
2: about, about this. Because are you, are you, you, I you know, do mind. Um, kind of on unrelated but related note, there was a report on, on Drudge today that said, uh, the men who live in the Western hemisphere have a, a sperm count that's decreased by 50% over the last 40 years and the the scientists who conducted the study said it did not look at causes but if it had to guess what the causes were uh, they would attribute it to the uh the western world's you know processed foods and all the different chemicals that are um, you know part of the daily life that we live in
1: we we and we only said that a thousand times <laughs> It's it's the stuff that's being sprayed over us. Oh, you're a bunch of tinfoil you know, kook, kooks out there. It's the stuff that that's right. It's that's in our foods. Oh, no, that's this that's to help you. Um, yeah, right. Okay. So so yeah, Western civilization is on the way out. So is the automobile. By the way, they're talking about that in the UK, and as the UK does, so does modern America. You know, by 2040, you're not going to be. The the automobiles gonna be gone because The self driving automobile yeah. will be there. Uh, you but know, you I, I, that's what they say, but, but, but they continue the to fail with their tests. You take away my my, my you take away my car, okay, my seventy one Camaro or eighty two Jaguar. I, of course, I don't own those, but if I did, okay, you, you'd have a fight on your hands. Or you take away my ability. Uh, I want chrome, I want vent windows, I want ashtrays, I want a cigarette lighter, I want, uh, 8-track player or cassette player. I, I will take the, uh, uh USB connection. Uh, that's kind of interesting. Beyond that, um I want lap belts, not harnesses. I don't want to feel like I'm, I don't want to be strapped in like I'm going on a ride at uh, Six Flags. I don't need that crap. If I want to fly out the windshield, that's my business, alright? End of story. I got an attitude tonight. No. I don't think anybody would have guessed. I got an attitude tonight. It's just, I do, I do. But, but, see, this is the kind of crap that, the, the, the stuff that we're talking about, the Princeton men's equipment manager, oh, let's fight this, let's fight this, uh, this masculinity problem. Okay, grow a set. Be a man. Act like a man. Because I'll tell you something. I, I would guess real ladies out there, real women, real actual ladies with class and dignity and decorum, would really appreciate an alpha male once in a while. Not some faggot running around in pink underwear playing and, and saying, "You know what? Uh, uh, we 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 can we 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 can't uh, we, we we can't really talk that way." By the way. I got an email saying it was okay to say that, use that word, because they call that, they themselves call it, it's okay. Unlike the N-word, which you can't use. But that, that word's okay. Queer's okay, too. They identify with that. But, the, but see, so, so they're emasculating the males. They're, they're emasculating the males they're taking away a sperm count
2: this has been ongoing the you know the uh, taking away of the masculinity of men toxic masculinity they call it um this is a trend in in not only in colleges but in in schools across the board even even uh public funded high schools and whatnot. not uh, there was a just yesterday i saw a message from planned parenthood that they were teaching kindergartners that um you know, if you're a boy and the parts you have that your your genital parts don't define your your gender, like hell they don't. Now I'm going to tell you something. Yeah. I mean, biology Planned
1: Planned books. Parenthood. See, okay, you Pl- in the right. Planned Parenthood, as far as I'm concerned, is a terrorist organization. And, and the the people who have criticized the, criticized the Center for Medical Progress in their investigation, exposing what Planned Parenthood does, and call themselves Christians, you could bite me, okay? You could, and I'm serious about that. I you're nothing more than a sniveling. Uh, unbelievable snake in the grass! You call yourself Christians? Are you out of your minds? Who who defend Planned Parenthood? Any Christian that defends the tactics or, or Planned Parenthood or uh, sales of tactics of the Center for Medical Progress to expose the misdeeds, the evil deeds, the crimes, the in my view, the the, the, the selling of baby parts, the killing of murder of, of babies at Planned Parenthood for the good of society, for the good of the world. See, when when, you, when murder is committed. Um, as an example, normally, normally when murder is committed, uh, a police investigation results, and that's because it's for the good of society. Uh, and you can look up that law; it's it's in, it's, it's in uh, Criminology One Hundred and One, basically. Uh, but, but look, look. So, if you are if you are of the attitude that uh, uh, you know. My goodness, Center for Medical Progress. Really, they shouldn't have done that. They ought not have done that. They really went too far in exposing Planned Parenthood. Well, what kind of Christian are you? You know, you know what kind of Christian you are. In in my view, you're not a Christian. As as a matter of fact, you're a despicable human being and despicable human beings. And you know who I'm talking about, okay? The same. This is the same. In fact, one of the one of the people. uh, It's an it's an older woman. Her husband uh, apparently was accused of diddling their daughter so i you know i I don't know I look I don't know the story I don't know I'm not gonna mention any names i'm not gonna I don't know it's
2: like it's so that's the kind of people call themselves Christians. I don't know how many people saw this in the news today um uh, Donald Trump took to Twitter and really um i I guess some people would say stuck it to Jeff sessions. Uh, and there was two issues that I did agree with him where he did speak out against Sessions. One was his recusal as the DOJ, uh, Russia pro, in the DOJ Russia probe. And two, uh, what Trump said was his very weak stance on Hillary Clinton's crimes. So I don't know, you know, if this is for show or whatnot, it's turned into, you know, a media fiasco, as these things al- always do.
1: Donald Trump is making changes internally, and he's bringing... And I wouldn't be surprised if we see Sessions out in a couple of weeks. I wouldn't be surprised to see a new AG in there. And I certainly wouldn't be surprised if, if if collectively or individually
2: they fire Mueller. Well, they should fire. I, think the, I don't think the American people... It's not like what the media portrays, uh, their talking points. I believe the American people are uh, waiting for changes to take place like this, waiting for him to step further into that leadership role as president, and really command the office other than the other way around always playing defense with the media attacking constantly um and and trump did say that the white house decision will be soon on the fate of sessions again we don't know exactly what's going to happen um uh, but it will be interesting to see and many people have a problem with trump you know taking to twitter for these these kind of announcements um I, not not me so much i i see uh you know, his talking about Sessions, Sessions being very weak on Clinton's crimes as part of what he promised in his agenda. And I think he needs to, to continue to uh, open up a new investigation into her and what she has done. And, and instead of constantly playing defense and feeding the media fire, you know, whether it's none needed, uh, an example would be when he tweeted impanel, about pardoning.
1: panel a federal grand jury and make everyone testify on her oath. That's what needs to be done. A federal grand jury needs to be impaneled. Not a special prosecutor, independent prosecutor, but a special a a federal grand jury in panel one, call everyone under oath, and and you 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 compel them to testify. Don't testify, you go to jail. It's real simple.
2: We have we have it up here in our state. Comey's testimony of why he uh, decided not to charge Hillary Clinton that would be uh, you know right up in the top of of points of evidence where he himself basically said yes, she was conducted uh, criminal conduct. But her, because there was no intent in his words, you know, he's not going to bring charges against her. Uh, any average everyday American who, who did what she did, you know, would be raked over the coals a hundred times over again. But you have the, the FBI coming out and, uh, saying that she's not responsible because she did not have intent. Then you had Trump say after the election that, you know, we're not going to go after Clinton. Uh, they're good people. The Clintons are good people. So I think what we're seeing here might be Trump trying to reconnect with his base to some degree. And I hope that he's sincere in what he says about Sessions being weak and going after Clinton, and it's not just an excuse to try to make him look bad, to get him to be able to push out of there or have Sessions resign. We're going to need some immediate follow-through with some of the things he was saying. And if, as you said, if he was smart, he would uh, put something together or have uh, somebody under him in the right position of power to put something together, like a grand jury. where evidence is presented and, and the case is stated, and, and leave it up to the hands of the people. Well,
1: you know, one of the things, I agree. I agree with what you said.
3: <clears throat>
1: Unfortunately, some of the people in Congress don't. Someone forgot to switch off a microphone, and I hate that when that happens. Yeah, seriously, did you ever get caught with a hot mic? I'll do it live! So, so I forgot to switch off uh, a microphone at the end of a Senate subcommittee meeting uh, Tuesday, today, actually, earlier today. And two senators were caught dissing Donald Trump on a hot mic. The uh, Chairman of the Transportation, Housing, and Urban Development Appropriations Subcommittee, Susan Collins, and Senator Jack Reed were talking about talking, and the mic was on. In, uh uh, they were being recorded actually as well. Uh, let me see if I can find the actual quote here. I called him crazy. Uh, Reed, th- this is from Senator Jack Reed. Yes. Um, said, I think, I think he's crazy. I mean, I don't say that lightly as a kind of a goofy guy. Okay, so, hey Jack. You you lost. Get over it. I I think. I think Donald Trump. The more I see, the more I. The more I research this, and you'll have to agree with me. I don't really care who agrees with me, who doesn't agree with me. I really don't. I could care less. But the more I see with Donald Trump, the more I believe that that he is actually playing on his own terms. He went in not understanding it. No one. It'd be like this. It'd be like think. Think about it this way. And everyone can relate to this. I'm sure. You go into the takeover. Let's just say, I don't know, let's just say your family business. It's a huge business, and many, many, many employees, different departments. You're in all kinds of states and overseas. You don't know what's going on. And maybe your dad's the chairman of the board. Maybe you just haven't paid attention because you're, you know, maybe you just haven't paid attention. or for But for whatever reason, you don't know the business. In this case, the business is politics. It's not really a business. It's, it's a, it's a, it, it's a theater. It's, it's a meme. It's a, it's an existence. That's politics. Donald Trump knows business. He knows people. He knows how to handle people. He knows how to make the deal. He, he's been a marvelous foreign policy president. And that's what I believe. But he goes into the business, taking over from Obama, who was loved by everyone in the business and all the, you know, because, why? Because they, he told them what they wanted to hear. Everybody in this, in this, the employees, they're all, th- you think the business being the government, okay? Obama knew politics. Obama, that putz is a political organizer, a community organizer. He's a communist. He's a putz, but nonetheless, he was in that seat, and, the, the, you know, he was, Basically, just schmoozing everybody. He gets out. Like Tommy Boy, almost. Except Donald Trump is an accomplished person in business, not in politics. Donald Trump comes in. Doesn't know politics. Oh, he knows a little bit. He doesn't know the inside baseball. But make to make matters worse, people that were working there for Obama, at every turn, they throw the wrench in, into the whole mechanism against Donald Trump. Right? That's to me, that's the way, that's, that's That's exactly what's going on. Okay. And and you know what? We're going to, it's like,
2: we're going to mess you up, brother. We're going to mess you up. The one story I saw today that, um, was interesting was that the, it looks like noodles. The Senate, um, was able to secure 50 votes for a Obamacare repeal with Pence being the tying vote, say he would, um, he would do that. So, yeah, I mean, I know we can continue to hear things about how unproductive Congress is and whatnot, but I believe that if they're really serious about trying to fix the healthcare situation, they're going to do so either before they go on their break, if they if they're taking their break, uh, or maybe they'll go a little late. I would hope that they would try to uh, get this situated before taking the break. As many Americans uh, said that, with their votes, said that this was one of the main issues of uh, this last election cycle was healthcare, and. The well, which fire. the debate, by the way, is going to take place. Yeah, M- we- McCain crawled out of his hospital bed. Yeah, oh, I no, we, pray, we, we pray for McCain,
1: but seriously.
2: No, but it'll be interesting to see what, if anything, they are able to accomplish if their feet are held to the fire and are continue to be held to the fire by their constituents <laughs> and, and other people um, who have more influence than their constituents <laughs> well, well, inside well, of the beltway. You, you know, the, the, uh, Mr. on uh,
1: Boehner says it's never going to be repealed and replaced, and also, it was what does he know? Well, you know it was discovered that he was sneaking into the White House for secret uh, ways to talk to Obama to visit obama uh that's Boehner from Ohio, Mr suntan himself, george Hamilton, boehner um if you're old enough, you'll get that if not oh, whatever um but but folks look, I'm very serious when I tell you this. Please tune into our, our all three of our programs. If you don't have time, download them. Please tell people about them, tweet them. I'm just starting to learn Twitter, which is a dangerous thing. My daughter is saying, "Step away from the computer." Um, I would urge everyone to bookmark HagmanReport.com as well. Now, I will at some point. It's assuming Global Star will still have me and us after my rant tonight. Um, I'll put the links directly up there. If they're not already up there, to Global Star and the Blog Talk uh, radio, I'll fix the audio. But please, t- tell people about the show. And please, d- d- do me a favor. Please support our, our show. Please support our broadcast. You know, we, we can't do this alone, all right? Uh, John's, uh, uh, John's personal household items arrived today, and I oversaw that. Really, John? Seriously? Really, John?
2: That's why I'm in a bad mood. Oh, that's not the only reason. You, anyway. you could be in a bad mood just based on the color of the walls. My, wall my today. Wife, yeah, I gotta tell you something.
1: All right, listen to this.
2: We got a minute or 45 seconds. Okay.
1: The other day, I, I we we were out at a funeral, anyway, I stopped when I stopped with my wife she had to stop because she was hurting. Long drive, stopped to eat. I'm not going to say the restroom. I'm not going to say where. She had to use the restroom. She did. Came, she came out. And I made sure she was all right. I said, All right, I'm going to use the restroom. So I went in. I'm looking for the urinal. Ain't no urinal. I'm looking around. I can find tampon dispensers, I can find feminine hygiene stuff, but no urinal. Yeah, I walked into the women's room, and uh, look, you know what I did? Uh, I took care of business, washed my hands, and left. And and the women, it's like, okay, and what are they gonna say? I feel like a woman, basically, right?
2: We will be right back with Austin Brewer after this. Don't go anywhere.
3: We'll be right back.
4: In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. Circus Review states, Readers of end times fiction will be hard-pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast-paced. Blue Week Reviews boldly states, Fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought-provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book one Precipice, book two Pentecost, and book three Penance
1: You know, let me clarify something, all right? I wasn't wearing a dress. Those who were here the last, uh, those who heard that story, I was not wearing a dress. I wasn't wearing, you know, pantyhose or anything. And I was very respectful. Uh, uh, and I mean that. I was wearing a suit. Actually, it was not too much different. You know, come to think of it, all my suits kind of look the same. So anyway, not too much. So I was dressed like, somewhat like this. And and so I was respectful to the, to the ladies that were. Shocked, uh, you know. But in my defense, I felt like a woman that day, and so I'm allowed, right? And it was New York State, so I was. I could. I could whip out the the hey, thirty two. You could sue for discrimination if you got thrown out of there, right? I suppose. I don't know. You know, it's it's crazy. Uh, but uh, here to talk with us about this, uh, 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 Eric's. Uh, uh, put the camera down Eric right when you walk in now um seriously investigations um when the when the uh, when the cameras were miniaturized when technology went made that leap to the miniaturization of cameras folks should not believe how many hotels how many restrooms how many private uh, changing rooms had these cameras installed um it, uh, the investigations that, that, that I did, uh, were just incredible. <clears throat> and, and on a serious note, an equally serious note, I would ask for your prayers. I, I'm, uh, right now I'm working on a case. It's a, it's only, it's the only a murder case that still has yet to be solved. In fact, uh, the head of the cold case division here in northwest Pennsylvania called me today. Left a message. You're gonna call him back. Uh, it's a, it's a homicide that happened 41 years ago. They're still working it. Like that, and and that folder is still on my desk. And uh, I just the reason I mention that is because we need uh, we need prayer because the only thing at this point the only we know who did, look well we know who did it. I think that that's gonna solve this. And it despite the, the despite the um DNA um advancements. And there was DNA left there, but it was there are a few problems. But the only way that this is gonna be solved is prayer. So if you would just uh the victim, his first name is David. And this happened uh, forty one years ago ask for your prayers because it's uh, it's a murder case that really needs to be solved.
2: So, Joe, I'm going to kick it over to you. We're going to bring Austin on, and he can tell me yeah. how that I was acted. Austin before, Brewer, you know. um, the website HealthMasters.com from the Ted and Austin Brewer Show. Austin, welcome back to the, the Hagman Report.
7: Great to be with you. How are you guys doing tonight?
2: We're doing really well. How about yourself?
7: Oh, doing good, man. Staying busy down here in Florida and uh, enjoying the heat, sweating all day long. Sounds like you guys are having a uh, fun time as well up there. So, uh, yeah, it's good to be with you.
2: Well, then you just answered one of our questions. I know uh, your dad, Ted, is not in Florida with you, and we were wondering if you were with him or not, and I guess you you stayed home.
7: Uh, no, yeah, somebody's got to stay home and uh, run the business. He's over in Greece right now. He's actually been interviewing some people and uh, having a good time. But, no, I'm, I'm staying down here in Florida. One of the things that he brought up the other day that I was asking him about, because, you know, Greece has had a massive, massive uh, Muslim invasion as well, uh, as, long as, as far as the other countries as well have. And he was talking to a couple of the Uber drivers, and he said, you know, Sweden, Germany, they're all having these really, really, really bad uh, rape crisis, you know, in, in the country, it's nonstop from these Muslim immigrants. And uh, they said, no, no, we, we don't have that here. And he goes, yeah, I've kind of noticed. I don't, I haven't heard about it in alternative media. I don't, it doesn't seem to be an issue. He said, no. And the Uber driver was talking to him and they're all, you know, they're all like, you know, full blown from Greece, been and were born and raised their whole lives, and he said, well, what happened was when the first couple of the uh, Muslim immigrants came in, they thought that that was acceptable behavior, and they started grabbing our women, and uh, we basically took them behind some of the areas, and we cut their throat, and they all got killed as soon as they did it, and um, that was the extent of that escalating much further, and I kind of thought Dad was joking at first when he told me that, but he was completely serious, so apparently at least the boys in Greece are not putting up with that type of nonsensical behavior. Like some of the other European countries, um, so they're not having an issue with that, but they still are having a very, very difficult time with the economy right now. Everything has collapsed pretty severely, and uh, the only thing they're really relying on um, is the tourist tourism. That's the only thing that's really keeping them going right now. So he said it's definitely an interesting world over there right now.
2: Well, I bet it is, and Greece has had a number of economic issues since you know 2009 and moving forward. Oh, yeah. And uh, the immigrant, the immigration crisis over there and, and what we've seen in Germany and, and Sweden and a number of these other nations are uh, even women who are defending themselves from rapes with items like pepper spray are being arrested for using the yeah. pepper spray while trying to defend themselves. And, you know, as you said, you, know, you had to ask your dad if he was serious about what these people said and how they handled the situation. I mean, as you said, the, the people coming over think it's acceptable behavior. I find that hard to believe. Uh, I think they're trying yeah. to take advantage of it uh, a big way, too. But, you know, a couple, putting a couple of them down to prove a point will um, send the message loud and clear. Now, who knows if that happened or not? Probably wouldn't get away with that here. You'd be arrested for murder and, you know, whatever. But uh it's yeah. good to see people standing up for, for their country and their rights either way.
7: Well, yeah, apparently what he said was that basically the law enforcement, the police, um, they've heard about that situation happening a couple times, and pretty much they uh, turned a blind eye to it because they basically didn't want to get involved in it, and quite frankly, they were on the side of the citizens. And again, like you said, I don't know if that's 100% accurate. Dad said the guy said it with a straight face, and he said when you go over there, They haven't had any issues with any Muslims, you know, approaching them, trying to talk to them, because he brought Sharon over there too. And, um, but apparently. The Greeks are not going to allow their country to turn into a Muslim caliphate like Sweden and Germany have. So I at least commend them for that. And the problem is, as you just said, Germany, Sweden, all that stuff. It's like if you defend yourself now against that, you're going to jail. If you talk about it on social media, you go to jail. I mean, we have this incident up here in Minnesota now, which has really boggled my mind. That's actually affected us here in the States. Where this Somalian police officer basically gets picked to be a police officer simply because he's Somalian. And he shoots Mm -hmm. this lady in the middle of the night from the passenger seat through the driver window, and uh, everybody's trying to act like, you know, oh, well, you know, it was an accident, it was this or that. You guys handle firearms, you've been around law enforcement. That was not a negligent discharge, that was an intentional discharge into another person from the passenger seat through the driver window, Um, and it's really kind of boggled my mind, because I really did some research on it the last week, and I can't figure out if this guy's just that big of a blithering idiot which I don't think he is or if this guy is some type of Islamic terrorist cell that has infiltrated the police department among with others and uh, he's basically doing what he is told and that's you know jihad on uh, everybody up there so i don't know, yeah. it, what, you know have you guys Austin, heard anything Austin, else about it you're yeah. a little closer than I yeah I
1: yeah i'll tell you i'll tell you this you, you can bet your bottom dollar that uh, internal affairs is not going to do the same kind of give him the same kind of treatment they would a white cop sorry about oh yeah that. that's the way it is that's number one number two you got a lesbian uh, police chief that was uh, just uh, uh, let go um in Austin, you know about that, right? Uh, right in his uh, same, uh, yeah, where he came from. Yeah, correct.
7: I heard about it. Yeah, I didn't, okay. I didn't know a whole lot about it, but I did read about it. Yeah, and, and the, and the PC 13.
1: mayor, you know, embracing the uh, Somali, uh, we, we love Somalis, we love, uh, Muslims. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, you just, it, it, but, but, I'm gonna tell you something. Okay, and you said it, uh, negligent discharge. At the very, I mean, I I don't believe that, but there's no such thing as accidental discharge. There's negligent, there's intentional discharge, and there's negligent
2: negligent discharge. There's nothing else. Okay, so what we've seen uh, the latest, uh, his excuse as to why he fired it is because he was startled apparently by the woman approaching the car or some noise. Yeah, yeah, that 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 was the excuse that was given. He's got a heck of a problem.
1: But the story,
2: the story has kind of died out in the news, which is disappointing, at least in the mainstream news.
1: Well, well, but not, okay, not over in Australia. Here, yes. Yeah. Not there. No, not there. And I guarantee you, if this would have been a black person and and a white cop, are you, are you kidding me? Baltimore probably would be burned down.
7: Well, yeah, and and one of the first things when I was talking to somebody about this the other day, I said, you guys have to understand, I said, he was in the passenger seat. I said, so there was only two scenarios that happened here. He either, A, was riding shotgun with his pistol in his lap with his finger on the trigger in order to be startled, then pull over, shoot his weapon in front of the driving officer through the window. Second off, that completely goes against policy to be riding around with your firearm out in the open with your hand on the the trigger while you're riding around, unless you have a credible threat you're about to engage. The only other option is he had the weapon holstered, which means he had to reach over in a vehicle, by the way, which you guys know when you're carrying a sidearm in a vehicle, it's not easy to draw it quickly. Draw his weapon, reach over, discharge the weapon in front of the other officer, and shoot her. So the whole he was startled is complete and total bogus. We all know that. Either way, there's no way he drew that weapon and put it across the other police officer's face and shot through the driver window it to me it looks more and more like this guy had a real issue with anybody that wasn't under sharia law or wasn't a muslim the more i look at it but i don't know i wasn't there but this situation as you guys said has gotten very little mainstream coverage and if it was the other way around this thing would have again like you said they would have been burning down cities pitching a fit about it but again nobody wants to talk about it now
2: no, well, I think you're right about the no. Islamic uh, component here, because there, as you just laid out, there Absolutely. is no other reasonable explanation. There's no other excuse, and no other story makes sense. And the lady was in her pajamas; uh, it was yeah. at nighttime. <laughs> and if you look at what Sharia law says, it's completely. Uh, you know, maybe and, the guy felt threatened by the woman. Maybe he felt threatened that he was taking orders from the woman. that's knows what yeah. it was? His it, partner, and his partner better speak up. I, by the way, if I was his partner,
1: the, the the minute my ears no, before my ears stopped bleeding, okay, I, that guy would have had whatever he was carrying in his mouth. And, and I'll tell you what, I, I'd be
2: really, really hard pressed not to pull the trigger. Um, and so the dash dash cam wasn't working, the body cams weren't working.
7: Right, all ironic. I, um, I mean, it's that was the thing standard to me, and, and as you just said, Doug, you discharge a weapon in front of my face like that, you better have a doggone good reason why you just pulled that trigger in front of my face, because a handgun five inches away from your nose is incredibly loud. His ears were ringing for days inside of a vehicle, I can guarantee you, and he's trying to say, I was startled by a woman approaching the vehicle in her pajamas because it's 1130 at night, and we're on basically an assault call or a battery call or whatever it was I mean it was something bogus, it wasn't like they had the entire police department out swarming for an active shooter, there was no reason to have his firearm out like that but the issue that really is bothering me the most is how you just said, the mayor, the mainstream media, everybody is now trying to basically capitulate to the Somalian Muslims and be like oh well they're getting blowback now, there's people that are being aggressive towards the Somalians because he did this I hate to tell everybody, when you come here from another country, you're at the mercy of the country you're going to and hoping that they are going to take care of you and treat you nicely. If you come here and want to basically try and force your Muslim Sharia law faith on everybody here and we don't like it, we sure as heck don't have to be polite about it. And I feel like that's the reoccurring thing we're starting to see here is they're trying to make us submit to this Muslim culture. Every time something happens, they're always the victims no matter what happens. And in this case, this guy was a Somalian, immigrant from Somalia in a police position, which he never even should have had, and he killed somebody in cold blood. If this would have been a civilian, if a civilian would have been riding around in a vehicle, me and you were riding around in a vehicle, this lady comes up to the truck, I draw my weapon and shoot her in the chest, I would be lucky not to get first degree murder. I would get lucky not to get that. This guy right here, they're trying to put him on paid leave and say, well, we have to do some more research in it and see what really happened. And as you said, that driver that driving police officer, he really needs to drop a dime and speak up what was going on because there is no reason he should not be telling the entire story right now.
2: No, you're exactly right, and you know we haven't heard any statements really. Uh, and I guess it, it's a, it's sad when a story like this happens and you have to go searching for the information, and then you you, you get hit or miss, uh, you know, stories at best. And as you said, whether it's a terrorist attack or an incident like this, the the Democrats the the insane left communist uh, totalitarian types and the media always portray the Muslims even as as victims even when they're committing the terrorist attacks yep. they will go after the people who are calling them out on social media and otherwise saying oh you're being islamophobic and it, it is completely ridiculous it is um it's mind-boggling and as you said it is for the purposes of getting uh, people to submit to the Islamic way, for whatever yep. reason, for the purposes of takeover, or you know, something else, but it is um, you know, thank God we have the Constitution we live in America, and many of the people understand, uh, you know where these, these uh, talking heads are coming from, is worse in other countries, like in France with the terror attacks, and and in London, when, you know, the mayor uh, over there is, is, is Islamic himself, and says, well, terrorist attacks are part and parcel of living in big cities you know, making excuses for people constantly. And then you see yep. the the one incident over there where um there were some people leaving a mosque that got run over by a car, whether it was an intentional, you know, uh, that the guy plowed into the crowd or not where one person died, an old man who was already having a heart attack or something, and then you know they just hammer away all oh, you know hate crime and Nazis and constantly. It's only the, the Muslim terrorists are given victimhood status after they are the ones that are committing crimes. And I think people see through that. Um uh, I, I hope they do at least.
7: Yes, me too. And I mean, another good aspect that we saw was, I mean, one positive thing we did see today was that over in uh, Washington, D.C., if you guys saw that, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia ruled that the law, which is requiring people to show proper reason to fear injury in order to carry a concealed carry firearm is unconstitutional and violated D.C. residents' Second Amendment right. They said, according to the law, acceptable reasons to get a permit, including Jobs that required employees to protect valuables, or if an individual has been threatened, right now uh, they basically they decline like eighty to ninety percent of concealed carry applications in Washington D.C. because you have to have a proper reason. Yeah. Right now, I think this is like roughly one hundred and forty or so concealed 100, carry promoters in D.C.
1: Yeah. one two four one two four. Yeah.
7: Yeah, honey, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a joke. I mean, that's a joke. And so they uh, they overturned this today. I don't know where it's going to go if they're going to continue fighting it, but that was a very, very positive thing today for the Second Amendment that at least the people in D.C. look like they may be getting their constitutional rights back to carry a firearm legally on their person, which is under the Second Amendment very clearly.
2: Yeah, and, you know, it, it's good good to see, as you said, though, it'll be interesting to see wh- if this lands in another uh, court and if the, the ruling has changed. Yeah. And, you know, it makes me wonder, you know, how, what the fo- founding fathers would say to see uh, how far down this, you know, hole of, of uh, you know, politics and, and the bureaucratization of everything to the point where, you know, we're paying taxes to get our... Well,
1: well wait a second, Joe, in, in Austin, did you see what Larry Pratt's statement was at that hearing? Uh, you mentioned the... the, the DC, no, Larry uh, Pratt, Gunners are America. Yeah, Larry Pratt. Uh, speaking to, uh, I think, Karen Henderson. I think that was her name, or Kathy Henderson. Um, one of the ruling uh, judges, the dissenters, saying essentially that that uh, it's a good, I, I, well, you know what, I, I brought that up for a reason. I can't remember his statement. But bottom line was saying that uh, it's a good thing that uh, uh, this went the way it did because the the uh, the alternative would have been,
2: unthinkable basically
3: yeah
1: also not you got to read it i mean Yeah, but
2: and back to what we're talking about with the uh we will have to check out what larry pratt said uh we've had larry and his son eric i believe uh on our show a number of times and it it should be a win for the second amendment but it should never come to this in the first place there should never be laws limiting people's ability to carry firearms legally especially in the nation's capital or anywhere in the continental united states and, you know, this is a further encroachment of of government trying to take away rights that are given to us under the Constitution, and they've done this, uh, you know, for so long, and they continue to make headway in different areas, and this is one area that they're seeing some pushback in. And, you know, I was just going to say the Founding Fathers, it, what would they say uh, to see this country where it is now, where you need reasons to to be allowed to carry guns, you know, and just all the other craziness that's ongoing and, and how big government's gotten. Um I think they had a much different idea for the country. But, as you said, it is a good victory for the Second Amendment, and uh, hopefully it's just the the beginning. Um, I believe in America should be you should be able to open carry in any state without any type of license and you should be able to Absolutely. Uh, conceal carry if you take a uh, the proper class. I, I don't see a problem with that, but a lot of people do and studies have shown overwhelmingly so that people in areas where there are uh, more concealed carry, that there is less crime. It is, uh, you know, and with the increase in gun sales that we've seen over the last 10 years, uh, crime is down what? You know, violent crime is down 40%, 50%, so they can't really attribute crime statistics to concealed carry or other weapon uh, carriers, and uh, even, uh, there was one state I looked at yesterday, maybe it was Louisiana, where there is, you know, I forget the the number, in this one county or or area of the state, they were looking at 23,000 concealed carry uh, uh, permits or people out there with concealed carry licenses, and only two or three people with concealed carry licenses were, were committed violent crime. It was a, like a point zero zero three percent, something crazy like that. But these studies continue to show that the more people that are concealed carry, the less crime in those areas. But you know, we don't see that or hear about that in the media.
7: No, you're absolutely right. I mean, and, and that's the whole aspect with the Second Amendment. It was so open-ended for a specific reason. You know, the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed upon. And I mean, it, was, it starts off a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of the free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. There was no other additions onto that because that's all it needed to say. The only thing that it needed to say and project is that the United States popular had the right to keep and bear arms at any point in time at any place in time for any reason they felt the need to do so so you're absolutely right a lot of these restrictions we have to pay taxes for this and fees for that and another fee to have a concealed carry permit and another fee to renew it every year i mean i know i just renewed mine in the state of florida last year and it was like another 55 bucks to renew it so i had to pay another tax to have a license to be able to conceal that you know concealed carry that firearm and um it is what it is is. You know, we have to deal with some of this stuff. I don't agree with it, but when you start having states like, you know, D.C. blatantly say, well, you have to have good reason to actually have this, and they give 124 people a uh, permit, I mean, that's a joke. That's a blatant invasion on the Constitution, and um, there's absolutely no reason for that at all. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. like you said, if it goes to another court system, uh, it it is what it is. But um, I really hope for the time being that these guys can at least get their rights back. We also have to try and push the uh, Hearing Protection Act that was coupled with the bill, was called the Share Act, that actually was supposed to get voted on and had a very, very positive chance of winning the same day of the baseball shooting. But that was, we talked about that in detail. Apparently, that's completely off the board now. We don't even know when that's going to go back up for voting which of course that was ironic that that was the same day that shooting happened so I've been really trying to keep an eye out on that and see when that's going to get voted on but so far I've had no, uh, no chance of finding anything. Have you guys heard about it at all?
3: No,
2: I haven't. What would you say the name of that was the?
7: It was called the S H A R E. It was um. It was basically hunters. I forgot the whole thing. I should have it in front of me, and right I can pull it up. But what they did was Congress coupled the Hearing Protection Act, which basically was deregulating suppressors, which they should have done. They should have never even been on the NFA Act in 1934. But the, it basically had a bunch of stuff for. Um, gun rights. It was the Sportman's Heritage and Recreational Enhancement Act is what it was, and they were going to vote on it, and they also put the Hearing Protection Act inside of it, and uh, it was supposed to get voted on, like I said, the day of that shooting, uh, but that completely stalled and disappeared after that shooting, so I really hope we can get that back on the board because that was, again, really going to hand a lot of uh, constitutional rights back over to the citizens, which they were well-deserved, um, so we've got to keep an eye on that and see if we can get them back to vote on it again.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Austin. And and if I can just uh backtrack just a tad, uh this uh, in reference to the DC ruling today, this is what Larry Pratt said just to be clear. Uh okay. I love it too. Uh Judge, he, he was speaking to Judge Henderson, uh Karen uh Karen Henderson who is the lone dissenter running the uh, uh of the district's regulation passes muster okay because of the city's unique position as a nation's capital and such but larry pratt said this and i love this judge henderson's statement in favor of the dc law is insulting namely that it is enough to have a gun at home keeping a gun at home is like keeping a car in the garage even though we need our gun and our car much more away from uh, uh much more away from home uh king george had a similar view of uh, the right to keep and bear arms. That's why we fought his soldiers. And this last statement, or this last sentence just uh Thompson. I'm glad it did not come to that with Judge Henderson. So there you have it. Very Pratt. Yeah. <laughs>
7: Well, he's absolutely right about it, man. I mean, that's one of the huge aspects of what happened with that entire, with King George. I mean, because once you allow yourself, once you have the population to be fully disarmed, that they don't have the right to take a firearm out of their house legally, as soon as they go somewhere with it, they're automatically criminals. And the whole aspect that I hate about it is that you don't even have to be in the commission of a crime. You can be a non-felon who's never even had a speeding ticket in your life, but you get pulled over in D.C., with a handgun, concealed carry, legally following your Second Amendment constitutional rights, and now all of a sudden you're a felon. You go to jail, you get arrested, you have to go through the whole aspect. My question is, where is the victim? If there's a crime, if you're charging me with a crime, where's the victim? Who did I shoot? Who did I injure? Where's the injured party? There is none. So when it goes to that level of basically tyrannical government, that's where it starts drawing down that line again, where we can't allow this to continue to happen, because once we allow allow ourselves to be told you can't have a gun you can only keep it here but you can't carry it you can't have this size magazine you can't have this size barrel all these are tyrannical regulations to do nothing to stop crime or prevent individuals from committing crime all it does is make law-abiding citizens essentially criminals or felons overnight simply by a ridiculous decree of a tyrannical government so that's one thing uh, we really have to look out for. Also, too, I wanted to let all the uh, customers know and all the Hagman listeners know we're still going to be running the uh, Doug Five special for you guys. Uh, I talked to Dad about it the other day when he was in Greece. He wanted to extend it to the end of the week. So, we're going to be running that Doug 5 special, and you can still use it on the Ultimate D3 10,000, which is the product of the week till tomorrow morning. But I wanted to let all the customers know that, Doug, because we've had a lot of response this week in emails after that show on Friday that Dad had with you guys.
2: Well, Austin, we appreciate it. And, folks, the website is healthmasters.com. The coupon code is Doug5. Make sure you check it out and listen to the Ted and Austin Breuer Show each day on Global Star Radio Network as they have a few times that they're on. They have a 24-hour listen live number as well as uh, they're on right after our show, right on the station on Global Star Radio Network. Austin, thank you so much. We're out of time. We will talk with you soon.
7: It's been a pleasure, guys. Have a blessed night.
2: You too. Thanks, buddy. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere.
1: but a bing, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP-proof. And it's environmentally friendly, you know, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, six AA batteries off the grid. When other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night, go to greennovative.com. That's greennovative.com.
5: You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an MOK. can.
1: Welcome to this edition of the Hangman Report. Hangman Report comments. Our website. We've got two additional uh, venues. I have a radio show nine to ten each Monday through Friday each morning, right here on Global Star Radio Network as well as BTR. Joe and John Robertson together, 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time, right here in Global Star and BTR.
2: And folks, if you can, if you've listened to either show, we would love to hear some feedback. Send yeah. emails to studio yeah. at Hagman com. Let us know you listened. Tell us what you think. Uh, you know, we're just getting the ball rolling. We're going to have to find our, our groove, uh, each individually, as we're doing these shows separately. Oh, I found my groove. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Um, and, you know, at least with our show, John's doing it with me, and he's still on the other side of the country. So I think it's going to continue to improve as as uh, the shows go on, and then when he gets here, we're going to you are going to it, it should be a little smoother. Not that there is anything wrong with it now, but give us some feedback if you have listened uh, at studio at hagman dot com. We're, uh,
1: we're we're waiting on and attempting to uh, contact our guest John Guandalo. Now you know him; he's been he's a very visible former FBI agent. Um, just to give you some background on him so we don't waste his time when he comes on. Um, he is the founder of understanding the threat.com it's an organization dedicated to providing strategic and operational threat focused consultation education and training for federal state and local leadership and agencies he wrote a book and it, the book is raising a jihadi generation if I'll tell you right now, if you are a cop, if you are in the brass of a police agency, you're going to need to read this book. It's not a long book, but it's got the outline for uh, affidavits and such. It, it's a it's a handy tool. And if you are just a citizen like us, okay, uh, or a citizen researcher, investigative journalist, it's so important. It is It's a great book. Go to uh, understandingthethreat.com or amazon.com to buy it. Um, tremendous book. But John is a 1989 graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy. He took a commission as an officer of the U.S. Uh, Marine Corps. He served the 2nd Battalion, 2nd Marines, Infantry, Platoon, Commander, in Combat Operations, Desert Storm, Desert Shield and Storm. And uh, in 91 to 96, he served in the 2nd Force Reconnaissance Company. As a platoon commander, I'm not going to go through his entire resume, but but suffice it to say, he's got experience. In '96, he joined the FBI, serving at the Washington field office. We may have crossed paths there, uh, speaking on a personal level. From '96 to 2000, he primarily conducted narcotics investigations domestically and overseas. In '01, he served as the FBI liaison to the U.S. Capitol Police getting threats to the president. That's who John Guandolo is, and vice president, members of Congress, by the way, and other high level government uh, officials. And then after nine eleven, he began assigning, <clears throat> or he began an assignment to the uh, counterterrorism. This is where it gets good. Uh, counterterrorism division of the FBI uh, field office, Washington. Developing an expertise in the Muslim Brotherhood, Huma Abedin's favorite organization, apparently. In my view, allegedly Yes Islamic doctrine and the global Islamic movement and It's just a host of other organizations Terrorist organizations to, to include But not limited to Al-Qaeda, Hamas Hezbollah, others And so in 06 He created and implemented The FBS First counter Counterterrorism Training Education Program Focusing on the Muslim Brotherhood And their subversive movement in the United States, States Which I believe was gutted by the Obama people That's what I do believe um, you've seen him. Uh, I, I think he's been on Infowars a, a number of times. He's been on uh, stations all across the United States and worldwide. He's a, a resident expert on uh, all things jihadist. This guy's got the this guy's got the experience on the battlefield, overseas, in the sandbox, and also here, in the sandbox. The, I say here, uh, this sandbox, because look what we're becoming and he raised some warning flags with his book. This book is a must-read. And as, as you know, I'm a voracious reader. This book is a must-read, Raising a Jihadi Generation. You've got to read it. So, it, folks, again, go to com or go to uh, Amazon. But get this book, especially if you're in law enforcement. Get a, it, get, get a copy of this book. You will understand what we're facing. I do believe, uh, Eric, Tech just gave me the thumbs up, gave us the thumbs up. John Guandalo, welcome to the Hagwin Report, sir.
0: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I really hey. appreciate you having me
1: on. Well, we appreciate uh, you coming on. I, I think, can you hear okay? Okay. Yes. All right. Okay.
0: Audio. Good video, I hope.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're looking good. Uh, yeah, Eric's making a couple of modifications here, the tech uh, to the audio. John, I, I told the uh, listening and viewing audience about you. It's hard to believe that no one would that anyone would know who you are. Um, let me ask you. Uh, your book, by the way, ahead of its time, in my view. Um, when I say ahead of its time, not. It, it's it's not out. I mean, it came out what a couple of years ago, but it's still so valid today, especially with the Muslim Brotherhood component and the things that we're seeing. Um, where in this discussion, from immigration, illegal immigration to this Muslim invasion we're seeing, to all the things that are taking place, where exactly do you think we should start this particular discussion tonight? That'll make sense by the time we're done.
0: I think with a a very, very brief overview to talk about the few points that I think are incredibly pertinent to uh, understanding not only the threat, but how they're uh, doing what they're doing, how they intend to win, because they do intend to win this war, and therefore how we should strategize against it. I think, so the, the first three points I would lay on the table is, number one, 100% 100% of the enemy we face says that they are Muslims waging jihad in the cause of Allah, their God, to establish an Islamic state, a caliphate, under Sharia Islamic law. That's what, whether it's the people, uh, our soldiers and Marines and sailors and airmen met on the battlefields, in Iraq, Afghanistan, and elsewhere around the world, uh, people that have been captured, Uh, or killed in Europe or the United States uh, doing acts of jihad, they all say the same things. They write about it, they give us videos, they speak about it, they teach about it. That's who they say they are. And when you actually unpack Sharia and you read authoritative books of Islamic law, they actually do command and oblige Muslims to wage jihad uh, until the entire world is under Sharia. And 100% of Islamic law only defines jihad as warfare against non-Muslims. So that's the first part. They have a very focused agenda. It's to impose Sharia on the entire world, and their blueprint for battle is Sharia. Since 9-11, our leadership, our intelligence community, our military, our law enforcement, has not looked at and studied Sharia in totality in order to devise an understanding of the enemy and a strategy to defeat them. That's point one. Second point is, it wouldn't matter that that's true if there weren't people actually trying to do it, but we know there are. And in the United States, the Islamic movement, which is primarily led by the Muslim Brotherhood, and in the evidence in a number of terrorism trials, but the one that I cite the most, is the United States versus the Holy Land Foundation for Relief and Development, the largest terrorism financing and Hamas trial ever successfully prosecuted in U.S. history, a 15-year FBI investigation that culminated in their indictments in November 2001 after the 9-11 attacks. And the evidence reveals that the most prominent Islamic organizations in the United States, in fact, are hostile and a part of this hostile movement led by the Muslim Brotherhood. That's point two. And, and, third, you do,
1: and I, I, I don't mean to interrupt you because that's I don't, okay. I mean, we don't do that. But I would like to point out to our listeners and viewers in his book, he devotes uh, a chapter to the implications of the Holy Land Foundation trial. By the way, CARE, Council on American Islamic Relations, is an unindicted co-conspirator in that In that, uh, every time that comes up, I like to mention that, remind everyone uh, what CARE is, but, but you, you you did it. In fact, out of all the books I've I've read about the Holy Land Foundation trial, I think you did the best job in explaining and laying out the implications of that. And thank you for that. Again, his book is uh, raising a jihadi generation. Highly recommended. It. It's on our bookshelf, thank you. and you did a great job with that. Go ahead, and that's the last time I'll interrupt. I promise. Well, no,
0: it's okay. I, first of all, I appreciate the the comment, and and I, for your audience. Uh, CARE was identified as a member by the Department of Justice as a member of the Palestine Committee, the, the Muslim Brotherhood's U.S.-Palestine Committee, which is Hamas. So CARE is not only an unindicted co-conspirator, they're identified by the Department of Justice as a member of the Muslim Brotherhood's Palestine Committee, which is Hamas, uh, and that's what the evidence demonstrates. If you go to our website, understandingthethreat.com, Right on the homepage, there's a block that says CARE is Hamas. If you click it, there's a document that lays out the facts that CARE is, in fact, Hamas. And as you all know, because uh, you know Chris Gobbets my vice president for understand the threat uh, on our team, he went undercover against CARE at their headquarters uh, for six months. And um, he everything he learned and all the documents – the over 12,000 documents he retrieved just support the fact that CARE is involved in sedition and tariffs and, and other criminal activities. So um, let me just finish this thought on starting the discussion, really. So the three points are all the, the enemy that we face, all the individuals and all the groups, whether it's ISIS, Al-Qaeda, uh, Boko Haram, Al-Shabaab, Muslim Brotherhood, Tabliki Jamaat, jamaat islami you keep naming them, they all say that the purpose for what they're doing is to establish an Islamic state under Sharia. It is all about Sharia. The Holy Land Foundation trial revealed there's a massive jihadi, or if you want, terrorist network here in the United States that com- is comprised of thousands of organizations, but especially the most prominent Islamic organizations in the United States. And as a sidebar, the leaders of those organizations are the people that our government since 9-11 have relied upon to tell them how to fight the war. But we can get to that in a moment. And the third piece is we have to understand. And if your viewers and listeners take away anything, it's the understanding of how the Muslim Brotherhood's plan to wage what they call civilization jihad by our hands, meaning they get our leaders to do their bidding for them. How that works, that is something I believe we need to talk in detail about because it's how they're winning the war, and we as an organization, and Chris and I individually, bump up against it every day. Because you have people who believe they're doing the right things, whether it's a pastor or a senator or a police chief or a sheriff or a businessman or a citizen. And they think they're doing the right thing. And in fact, they're doing exactly what the enemy wants them to do. And there's a way they get you to do that. It's a, it's certainly an art of warfare. It's political warfare. It's subversion. Uh, it's, it's an insurgent movement here in the United States. So those are the three pieces I think I want to put on the table to lead this discussion today.
1: V- very, very good. And what, what a great place to start or a great foundation that you've laid. Ultimately, I mean, and I think we really have to understand, and this is my personal opinion, that, that um, it's the intent, as you pointed out, it's the intent to, to establish an Islamic state here, to, to, to subvert our Constitution make sure you're the law of the land, and to establish a, a caliphate or an Islamic state here in the United States and throughout the West, I, and, and we're in agreement on that, as you just said, basically. But, but, right. But, okay, what bothers me about, about what's taken place is, uh, John, you were in the FBI, uh, obviously, prior to 9-11. Well, I'm just going to come around and ask this question, because I have... Uh, I, when I heard you were coming on, and I want to thank, by the way, Connie Hernandez, Epic Quest Media, by the way. Thank you, Connie, so very much for your efforts and for arranging this interview. But I want to ask you this question, and I want to get your take on it. If I would have told you back on September 12th of, of 2001 that Barack Hussein Obama would be the President of the United States in seven years, would you have punched me
0: in the mouth? Uh, I don't know if, what my reaction would have been. It would have been hard to imagine, uh, that somebody so, uh, overtly supportive of the jihadi movement, yeah. uh, would have become president of the United States. That, that, that would have been hard to, uh, imagine. However, I will say this, knowing that's on the one hand, like on the common sense, American patriotic post 9-11, immediately after 9-11, hard to imagine. Once you understand how this movement works um, and how they've achieved so much since 9-11 in propelling their objectives and achieving their objectives, I would say, uh, looking back, it, it makes perfect sense. Um, You're right. Because of... And it's all about... I want to make this clear again for your listeners and viewers. This is much more... A war of information, a war of propaganda than it is uh, a terrorism matter. It's much more from a military standpoint, a counterintelligence and espionage war than it is a war of terrorism and uh, battlefield fighting. We think it's battlefield fighting because that's what the news shows us. We had a very long, you know, war in Afghanistan, a long war in Iraq. And here's the question. How is it possible that the United States of America lost the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan when our military heroically crushed the enemy on the battlefield in Iraq, on the battlefields of Iraq and Afghanistan. How did we lose? And if you understand, because the enemy doesn't intend to win on the battlefield of guns and bombs, they intend to take down the United States government. And they intend to do it, and I will tell you, it's my professional opinion, we've spoken about this publicly, that they are winning significantly, that we are still, in 2017, not engaging them where they're engaging us. They're engaging us at our elementary schools, at local school boards, at state houses, in uh, chambers of commerce, and the entire interfaith outreach, by the way, is controlled by the, the U.S. Muslim Brotherhood here in the United States. There, uh, you know, ask yourself: How is it that one of the things this president was all about was designating the Muslim Brotherhood a, a terrorist organization, and that's fallen off the front burner? These things are not accidental. There is a lot going on, and it is much more counterintelligence and espionage than it is.
1: Terrorism matters. So it's asymmetrical, is what you're saying. The battle, absolutely. Yeah, and I think people really need to understand the depth of this and the deception of this. And you, again, uh, folks, uh, John Gondon, uh really lays this out exceptionally in his book, "Raising a Jihadi Generation." It's it, it, you've got to, you've got to get yourself a copy of this book, in my view, because you'll be much better off for it. And, yeah. and also understanding the threat. .com is his website, but uh, Chris Gabats, M- Muslim Mafia, as well, Dave Kabatsen. Um uh,
2: But but nonetheless, okay. What really gets me in what you just laid out is something we were talking to, with our last guest about, is the Islamic ability to, even after uh, terrorist attacks, not only in, in Europe, but here in America, be given basically victimhood status by the media yes. and establishment, even when they're the ones perpetrating the terror attacks. What, how does this make sense in all this? Why is the media and many people in the entertainment industry and these politicians not only converting to Islam, but are the first ones, you know, after a terrorist attack to speak out against those people who are condemning Islam after an attack rather than condemning the attack itself?
0: Because that's the in, intentional uh, outcome of the Muslim Brotherhood's strategy and their work at the ground level. I mean, you have to understand the Muslim Brotherhood's Muslim Public Affairs Council has a Hollywood division and their Hollywood division works with uh, directors, film studios to ensure and actors to ensure that um, uh, nothing negative about Islam comes out and that Islam is portrayed as you know what it truly is according to them a peaceful loving religion and so that that's why you get this nonsense, a counterfactual understanding of Islam. Listen, we we can go through, but you know that Jerry Gordon, the director of many movies, and uh, including the the show, you know, 24 and all these other things. There's a great article and picture of him with um, Salam Al Mariati, the the director of uh, the Muslim Public Affairs Council, just yucking it up. These guys, the bad guys, the Muslim Brothers, our enemy, jihadis in suits. Uh, come to people, be they actors or senators or producers or pastors, wearing suits, talking very kindly. But um, let, let me just maybe answer that question, uh, punctuate the answer with this. A colleague of mine was in Egypt uh, recently and meeting with Egyptian security. I'll leave it at that. And uh, the Egyptian security was testing him to see if he really understood this issue. And he said, you're in a room full of Muslims. How do you know who the bad guys is? And my colleague said, what I'm saying to you, the best-looking, nicest-talking, best-dressed guy in the room is the most dangerous guy in the room. That's how this works. And until we understand that, I can't tell you if I had a dollar for every... Law enforcement officer, state legislator, member of Congress, pastor, business leader who told me so and so can't be a, you know, a jihadi cause I know him and he's a nice guy and he dresses well and his kids. I know his children and you know, unbelievable because we can't comprehend that this is how they wage war. So your comment about asymmetric warfare is right on the mark. Your question about how can the media and actors and, and Hollywood would be supporting them, that's the first piece. The second piece is, quite frankly, um, the majority of the media are Marxists, and they lean with Marxist-Communist-Socialists. So they're already enemies of the United States. So joining forces with, with Muslims, and specifically with the Muslim Brotherhood, against the United States is not a far stretch.
1: Very well laid out. Uh, we got about, uh, we got about three and a half four minutes before our network break at the bottom of the hour um okay uh how um in in that in that line of of uh, in that in the conversation i i guess my question at this point would be just in, in the minutes we have before the break um this the 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 doors were open i believe by george w bush contemporarily Um, to allow this penetration to come in. I'm not blaming him directly. uh, It's the policies that he created, uh, perhaps with being naive, perhaps. Um, How much damage did did the Obama administration do to um, our country via the invitation Muslim Brotherhood? Um, the uh, Muslim invasion or whatever whatever else might have happened or is that the wrong question to ask and if it's the wrong question to ask feel free to correct me
0: I think that's a good question I, I do want to point out that this uh, really started during the Clinton administration uh, when they started bringing these guys into the White House the first, uh, not the first but the most significant penetration in our government uh, to date at that point was Abdurrahman Alamoodi who was uh, the most prominent islamic leader in the United States and turned out to be a financier for al-Qaeda who was involved in a plot with two al-Qaeda guys to kill the Saudi crown prince who became king abdullah that yeah. continued during the bush administration where a uh, very um, i think junior varsity maybe naive um Republicans inside the administration especially a lot of the uh, staffers thought that these guys were great so terrorists like Samuel Arian, Nihad Awad Abdurrahman Alamudi Suhail Khan uh, I mean these are at the top of the heap Uh, certainly the the top level of Muslim Brotherhood folks in the nation were were welcomed into that administration but the damage done under the Obama administration is devastating I mean, essentially, they had free reign. And I want to quote uh, from last summer, uh, July 2016, the guy who led the Combating Terrorism Technical Sport Office for the Pentagon uh, on a national radio program when he said, you know, under the Bush administration, these guys were at the table. Under the Obama administration, they were controlling the narrative. They were making the decisions. And his quote was this. The U.S. national security decision-making process is controlled by the U.S. Muslim Brotherhood when it comes to these matters, the matters of Islam, terrorism, and all of that. And UTT has publicly concurred with those comments. Those are absolutely true. So think about how devastating that is. They are controlling the national security decision-making process, certainly under the uh, Obama administration. And some of that is continuing today because many of them and many of their uh, inroads have not been rooted out yet.
2: You know, that's amazing uh, to hear. And and many people overlook the fact that the door was really opened during the same administration that that uh dealt with nine eleven the George Bush administration.
1: Well, Clinton and then
2: Well yeah, but I mean we then, saw significant changes with right, care. Right. Um and that between the Bush administration and, and the Obama administration. And then when you see people like John Brennan converting to Islam and I mean it's mind boggling to think that the counter-terrorism and apparatus and information is, is, is the man being who, controlled by the terrorists themselves. Yeah. I mean, exactly. it, that they were given this kind of, uh, this power, this authority and ability. And we had a guest on who, who was inside of DHS since its inception, who laid out his story. I can't remember his name right now. I think it was Tom something.
0: Philip? Philip Haney?
2: Haney. That's exactly Philip right. Philip Haney. He's coming back. Too. Who talked about how, you know, his work in investigating terrorists and compiling the information and in databases, uh, you know, were wiped out and his investigations were stopped because uh, the people in charge of whatever information centers uh, did not like the information that he was collecting, and that he was doing you know a really good job for a country uh, that was really trying to go after terrorism. But when the terrorists are, are running the asylum, uh, you know he was getting too close to the fire, so they they did everything they could to try to to fire him to suppress right. his information. And to think that that happens in this country at the highest levels of government is absolutely unacceptable. Folks, we are up against the break. Um, our guest, com is the website and, uh, the book. I don't have the, the book title. Oh, the, the book is Raising a Jihadi Generation. Highly recommend it. There it is up on the screen. You can get it on Amazon. Folks, we'll be right back after this short break. Don't go anywhere. <laughs>
8: We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We are offering 25% off our must-have American Heritage Armies Kit. It contains 12 homeopathic armies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either. But they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues, and so can you. Check out our American Heritage Army's kit at www.ChangeHoseaWoods.com. Your life may depend on it.
1: this edition of the hagman and the hagman Report, our very special guest mr john guandala you know him he's he's everywhere understanding the threat dot com the founder of understanding threat dot com bookmark that website very important uh, information there as well as his book raising a jihadi generation this is a must read if you're a police officer or if you're and i know we have uh Many smaller agencies in Western New York, upstate New York, listening to, to this broadcast. Uh, I would urge your department to get to get this book, "Raising a Jihadi Generation." It's invaluable to fighting the, fighting what we're facing today. Um, so, understandingthethreat.com dot com. Chris Kabatz as well is involved in this organization. We interviewed him before, and uh, watch uh, watch the social networking as well as John's. Website understanding the threat for uh, this interview and also Chris Chris's interview or links to them at, at the very least. Now, having said all that, I want to make sure I again thank Connie Hernandez, Epic Quest Media LLC. Connie Hernandez, Connie, thank you so much um, publicly. Thank you for uh, assisting in setting this interview up. I know Mister Gondalo is an extremely busy man and in demand. Uh, I just I don't know how he does it. Um, And as, if you want to read his bio, it would take me to the end of the segment to, to read it. Uh, let's just say that he's, he's got the scars. He's got the stars. He's been there and, uh, he knows what he's talking about. If I can just start this segment out with a piece of news that broke this more, broke today. Um, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, her director of IT. Imran Awan, the Awan brothers, the five, the three brothers, the two wives—I'm sure you're familiar with with that whole situation. The Capitol police yes. proc- procurement—they um, caught, they arrested Imran Awan, attempting to leave the country, ultimate destination Pakistan. After finding the um, uh, the FBI took took seized the uh, broken down hard drives—is is this reflective? In general, and, and then you could take this wherever you want to take it, but in general, is this reflective of how badly we've been infested, and I use that word deliberately, by this, uh, this Islamic terrorist component?
0: Yes. Uh, it's just one small tip of the iceberg. And I want to rewind back to, uh, you know, seven years ago when Congresswoman Sue Myrick held a press conference after the book Muslim Mafia came out. And she discussed her concern that the evidence that Chris Gobbitz, who's our vice president understand the threat, the evidence he pulled out of CARES headquarters indicated they were trying to get people inside Homeland Security committees on the Hill, the intelligence committees and other key national security committees with the intent obviously of collecting information and um, conducting an information operation. In other words, to influence how they made decisions, how they viewed the problems. That's what I talk about. When I say this is much more an informational war than it is a terrorism matter, this is how it gets done. This was espionage, right? Uh, the case of James G, the Muslim imam down at Guantanamo Bay and his band of uh, some uniformed and contract linguists, um, that was espionage, that case, um, and everybody was charged except him. He got away scot-free. Um, but these, excuse me, these cases that we see are absolutely indicative. You have people just like this inside our airport security, literally Sharia-adherent Muslims wearing TSA uniforms, Sharia-adherent Muslims uh, working in security, uh, out, you know, like contracted security, uh, sharia adherent muslims working uh loading the planes working out on the uh the deck meaning the uh tarmac you have sharia adherent muslims uh in in baggage uh all over the airports and i'll just say that the greatest example i can think of is the president uh the leader of hamas in arizona uh mohammed el sharkway uh works at uh, sky harbor phoenix airport managing baggage handlers and he's the former executive director for care in Arizona at SAMOS. I mean, you have to understand this is—we <laughs> are just giving wow. our security away, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. But yes,
1: okay, we should be
0: very concerned.
1: All right, and and, and take it from here, how, wherever you want to, however you want to. Uh, uh, we, we've got, we've got. Uh, about twenty-three minutes to this segment, so you just take it wherever you want to take it. I mean, you laid this out so nicely at the beginning. Um, I, I, we don't want to, uh, you know, take you off your uh, your your uh, train of thought. So from here, where do we go from here logically in this discussion? Yeah, because cause the,
2: we, we we can go like fifteen different directions. Right I guess now. my next question would be: Are we seeing in the Trump administration a transition That's, away from yeah. the? the way that things were done under the Obama administration, or haven't we reached that point yet?
0: Um, <clears throat> on some topical issues, yes. The Secretary of State and the President failed to host an Iftar dinner celebrating the end of Ramadan at the White House and at the State Department. That's a major, major change. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to the, the average viewer out there. That's a major change. That, that was a gut punch uh, for the MB, but it's a, to them, they'll work around it. They're, they're okay with that. It's not, it's not good for them. Uh, but they've got a lot of other stuff going on. I, I just want to throw this out for your listeners and viewers. Uh, the iftar dinner, just so we understand iftar comes at the end of Ramadan and what it celebrates is the first Muslim military victory over non-Muslim forces. So my question would be, should we really be celebrating that anywhere in America? I think the, oh, absolutely not uh, my, right so why have we been doing it since the clinton administration that's the question um uh, so there are, those are some good things let, let me just point out some not so good things um I, I and some of a few of my colleagues were helpful in identifying people even prior to the inauguration that were getting inside uh mr trump's campaign uh, his his administration as it was being developed that were bad guys um, and we were able to give them a name give senior people uh, around Mr. Trump names of two people that, that I, uh, the first two people uh, I and a few other guys identified and explaining why they're bad and they got punted um, then th- there was another guy who was uh, unfortunately one of only a couple people charged with screening national security positions for Mr. Trump and he was batting for the other team. So this is what I mean when I say this is more about uh, now he he ended up getting punted also. But, but this is the problem. These are this particular individual was a uh self-professed Christian and Republican. Um but batting for the other team. So this leads me into the. So let me answer. Your Wait a question.
1: second. Self-professed Christian and Republican. Christian.
0: Yeah, he was a Republican. He was known. He's kind of a long-term uh, known civilian inside government sectors. Okay. Not not anybody that if I said his name you would know it. I'm not going to say his name, but right. Um, he, he known in, among circles of people that that run constantly at that level in government. Wow. But. He would have told you he's, he's, he doesn't support terrorism. He doesn't, this leads into that discussion about civilization jihad. So let me, if I may, just explain how they do what they do. First of all, their, their stated objective is to, the Muslim Brotherhood bylaws say that the Muslim Brotherhood is quote, a, you know, a Muslim body which seeks to establish Allah's law in the land. That's a quote right out of their bylaws. It says that um, they also have to fight the tyrants. This is a quote, quote, fight the tyrants and enemies of Allah in order to establish an Islamic state. That's right out of the Muslim Brotherhood bylaws. So we normally ask people we're speaking with, like law enforcement, government leaders, citizens, if that's all you know about the Muslim Brotherhood, should they be the exclusive liaison between the federal government, the U.S. federal government, and the U.S. Muslim community. And it's a rhetorical question, but when you actually then dive deeper, it gets much worse uh, because of course these people should not be uh, the exclusive point of contact for all matters Islamic, but that is how they intend to win the war. After 9-11, we looked around, Who are the experts? The groundwork had already been laid for the long before 9-11 in academic circles that in order to know something about a particular topic, you had to be part of it. So if you wanted to know about Chinese culture, you can't talk to anybody who's not a Chinese person because that's, that's just that, that you wouldn't get the right information. Only a Chinese person can tell you about Chinese culture. So somebody that studies it for 30 years, makes uh, 50 trips to China, studies it, writes books about it, their, their, their input is of no value. And it came out of a book called Orientalism, and it was taught at all of our great universities, and I'm being sarcastic now, that this idea, it's just like how we've dumbed down our education, but this is a big point this dumbing down of our education at the elementary, junior high, high school, collegiate, university level, and then this infusion of um, a complete undoing of reasoned thought, rational thought, logic, philosophy, Western philosophy, is out the window. So it lays the groundwork that if I'm not a Muslim, in my opinion, I can't talk about Islam. So who... Do we look for, at the highest levels of government, to when we want to ask about Islam? We look for prominent Islamic leaders. Unfortunately, 100% of America's prominent Islamic leaders are jihadis, or if you prefer, <clears throat> excuse me, terrorists. But actually, terrorism means something very different in Sharia, so I like to use the words they use and define them the way they define them. Uh, and I'm going to get to that, the language. So this civilization jihad continues after 9-11, where we look, government officials, including the president, look to prominent Islamic leaders who are, without exception, either senior Muslim Brotherhood leaders or ideologically aligned with the Muslim Brotherhood that want to bring down the country. So you want to know why in 2005 the United States State Department Created Islamic republics in Afghanistan and Iraq under Sharia law. Cause who was advising us? We lost the war in 2005 and then kept fighting for years because we don't understand the enemy. That's when the war ended. That was the, that was Al Qaeda's goal in Iraq and Afghanistan to establish Islamic states under Sharia. And we did it. That's called civilization jihad by our, our hand. The US government did that. When General Petraeus stood in a foreign country in his uniform with four stars on and told international media that was standing there that a pastor in Florida needed to not exercise his First Amendment rights by burning a book, the Quran, that's the imposition of the Islamic law of slander, which by the way says, is to say anything about Islam that a Muslim would dislike be it true or not true that's the Islamic law of slander and it's a capital crime when they can get a four-star general to tell a pastor not to burn a book and I don't care if those people out there saying well it endangers the troops really so that is how they do it they get our leaders to impose Islamic law on our citizens Civilization jihad by our hands. When in 2000, now you reference this at the beginning of your show. In 2011, when the Muslim Brotherhood in the Islamic Society of North America, the Council on American Islamic Relations and the Muslim Public Affairs Council goes to President Obama in the White House and says this training inside the government at you know, the Joint Forces Staff College, inside the FBI and other places about Islam is bigoted and racist and offensive. This is the Islamic law of slander. It offends Muslims. They don't like it. Therefore, it has to be stopped. What happened? The FBI director, the DHS secretary, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs shut it all down, and I know very intimately because uh, I participated in the one course at the Joint Forces Staff College. It was a 12-session course. Five of those sessions, each time they ran it, myself and my colleague, uh, participated in it and it spoke truth. And one, all it took was one Muslim who wasn't even in the class, filed a complaint and it went from care to ISNA MPAC to the White House and that it was done. That's the imposition of Islamic law by our hands, by our leaders. This is how it works. When police chiefs and sheriffs and pastors are befriended by leaders of known Muslim Brotherhood Islamic societies or Islamic centers or groups like the Islamic Circle of North America, Islamic Society of North America, which those are the two organizations primarily running the uh, US interfaith outreach among, uh, or sometimes it's called ecumenical outreach, but if Muslims are involved, that's the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, this is how it works and they befriend them and they teach them a counterfactual narrative of Islam. In other words, they teach them BS. They teach them what's untrue about Islam, and these pastors and these rabbis, they all gobble it up, and they're like, this guy's so nice, so when I'm standing in my church or another church, and I lay out the truth, they look at me, or people like me, I've had this, you know, hundreds of people share their experiences, people that understand the threat, speak in their own churches, They're told by their pastor and the leadership to shut up. That's civilization jihad by our hands. This is how it works, folks. And the people doing it most times don't understand that they're fighting on the side of the enemies of the United States.
1: How deceptive is that? And that's deceptive by design. That's built into their mechanism. And you point this out, uh, folks, raising a, a jihadi generation as well as on his website uh, understanding the threat uh but but you point you did very well pointing this out and and i see us succumbing to this more and more you've got this this um unbelievable uh uh this uh, uh evangelical embracing yeah. the
2: muslims it, from it's the, the,
1: counterintuitive
2: from the vatican uh to the yeah. interfaith dialogues and the things that go on here in the in this country and what's really unfortunate about this is what you said earlier is that you know sometimes the the most well-dressed and uh, you know, nicest appearing person is the most dangerous in the room and that's exactly mm-hmm. unfortunately what uh, you know are many in the in the Christian faith that are in churches that are lukewarm that's what it boils down to you know appearance and just like uh, just like in the world the, the churches have uh, so conformed to the world that they've lost their own identity and no longer even follow basic biblical foundations, and you can expect that from the government, you can expect that from the media, but when it comes into the churches, and you see, as you said, rabbis and pastors um, acquiescing to this and bending over to make this happen, that That, is very concerning. Not only are they, uh, you know, misleading in in their own faith, they're misleading the whole congregation of people that follow them, and it brings this false sense of security, uh, you know, with with what we see with the the links between terrorism and infiltration, where these people are allowed to lie they're allowed to, to to state other purposes for why they're saying they're doing what they're doing that are and may not have any basis in truth but the real agenda is to infiltrate and and take over and this uh, as you stated the people in the media the, and what some call the the red green uh, access mm-hmm. it is just a it's, a it's an assault from all directions and there's not i mean thankfully some of the american people are still able to think for themselves and see right through this and will never accept uh, you know Sharia law or Islam to to take them over, but I see more and more people, and even what we see with the um, you know the, the homosexual movement, they're teaming up with Islam,
1: even yeah, though those things that
2: are impossible. Trump, yeah, I was that impossible.
1: Linda well, because, Sarsour and, and company. because if,
0: right because if Islam is a religion of peace, it's just one off of Christianity and Judaism, then uh, and and. and the Muslim leaders are openly listen, the Muslim leaders took Jewish leaders to Auschwitz to show how much they care and the Jewish leaders that went swallowed that fishing line, hook, line, and sinker I mean, I, I don't spiritually blind naive, stupid I don't know which but uh, dangerous and if they're the shepherd of a flock incredibly dangerous because they're not just putting themselves in danger um But with each, you know, part of this, how they do it, with each group with, Jew, with the Jewish community, with Catholics, with Protestants, with evangelicals, with non-denominational Christians, um, they approach them very differently. And the way they do the dialogue, because remember this is counterintelligence. It's espionage. This is propaganda. And so the way they approach each group, very different and very effective. I think, and they're winning. Uh, There are a couple, I want to tie up a couple, uh, things that I think are very important. Number one, uh, we've talked about it, but I want to like really emphasize this point. The Muslim Brotherhood published a book in 1989 called The Methodology of Dawah. And what, what that is, is how they do Dawah. Dawah is the call to Islam that is required under Islamic law before you can wage jihad. You must call non-Muslims to Islam and give them the opportunity to either convert to Islam, submit to Islamic law and pay the jizya, or to be killed, because that's Islamic law. Those are the only choices for Christians and Jews. Non-Christians, Jews, and Zoroastrians have to either convert or be killed per Islamic law. So in that book about how to do the call to Islam, the Dawah, In the United States it says the United States of America from their analysis is the best place in the West to establish an Islamic State and it goes back to what I'm talking about about the civilization jihad the lukewarmness in our churches is devastating and um, I would say that this rise if I may this rise of non-denominational Christianity is simply a step towards no Christianity in some people's lives. It's why many people that fall into this non-denominational Christian, they've lost the credo of the Apostles' Creed. They've lost the dogmatic teachings of the Apostles. And why is this important? You said it, the way you said it, was they've lost the... The biblical foundations, the the things that were taught by Jesus in the Bible, are are kind of thrown to the wind because it's kind of this, everything's okay. And it goes back to me mentioning, this all comes together, This the moral relativism, the idea of Orientalism, that you have to be a Muslim to talk about Islam, that you have to be a Jew to talk about Judaism, you have to be a... So that takes logic, reasoning, and um, academic thought and throws it out the window you got to understand what this is. It's the destruction of reason thought that then leads us to a place where we have to rely on our enemy to tell us what they're doing. And, of course, they're, they're telling us the exact opposite. And so over time, in, in the Christian community, they're roping these people who have already been led astray um, and don't know what they stand for, and it allows Christians to create things like Chrislam where Christians are joining Muslims and they're taking the parts of the Bible out that offends Muslims and they're calling it chrism and it's the way that we can come together with our brothers and sisters in love and harmony. Uh, i, I got to tell you, that's um, there are other words for that and uh, in the Christian church for thousands of I mean, yeah. 1600 years, people were punted out of the church for this kind of, that's a heresy and all the heresies we see from the first century to today the way we deal with them today seems to be much different than they were dealt with even 300 years ago, and so it's the complete watering down of people standing firm, whether it's on the faith, on the founding principles of this country, or on logic and reason, thought, whatever it is, Western philosophical principles. All of those have been watered down to the point that you know um, these kind of nonsensical ideas. Come forward that somehow a barbaric system, Islam, Sharia, that calls for homosexuals to be killed, people who leave Islam to be killed, non-Muslims to either convert, submit to Islamic law with lesser rights, pay a non-Muslim poll tax, or be killed, that somehow this is equal with Western Christian principles and thought. It's insane. It's the same thought that says cannibalism is no different than Judaism or Christianity. That they're, you know, philosophically, if what you say is true, what I say is true, it's all good. No, there is right and there is wrong. There is good and there is evil. And by the way, our country was founded on the, De- the ideals of the Declaration, the law of nature's God and the law of nature. And from that comes our law and government. And it is laid out legally in Blackstone's commentaries that the law of nature's God is Holy Scripture, legally. And the law of nature is the will of God as it's experienced by mankind on earth. You can't have a constitutional republic without a moral standard, and that's laid out in our founding what that moral standard is. All of this is not separate and apart. When you brought up the red-green axis, the red... The Marxist communist hard left movement working directly with the Islamic movement to destroy liberty. That's what this is all about. And I, I'm just so grateful you all have given uh, me this opportunity and platform to share this and to, to give time to actually walk it out. Um, really grateful.
1: you have you, actually taken us to the top of the hour and uh,
8: fantastic hour.
1: timing yeah absolutely <laughs> uh, john Gondalo, thank you so very much for joining us i know i look i, I know it's it's a um uh, you're, you're taking a big chunk of your time out to, to uh, set up and, and and be with us we want to thank you for that thank you for your efforts for your continued efforts to fight this threat thank you for your book that you have written uh, raising a Jihadi Generation available at Amazon and your website, understandingthethreat.com And thank you for all you do. We look and, forward to having you back yeah, on. Please.
0: Thank you. I'm looking forward to being back on. Appreciate
2: right. it.
1: Bless you. Bless you as well. All right, folks. That'll, that was John
2: what a, what a Didn't get a chance to find what out what, what the sword man. was about. Oh, yeah. I forgot to ask i will have to do that next time. That's in case, in case we, we got like a, There's a story a, behind it.
1: No, no, no. I'll tell you what. In case I got out of line, man.
2: Folks, we'll be right back after this network break each and every Tuesday evening. Stan Deo is our guest. Go to standeo.com, pull up the show images page. He will be with us in the next hour after this network break, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to this edition of the Hagman Report. Stay tuned.
5: Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com
2: Ladies and gentlemen, to this final hour of the Hagman Report, Stan Deo is our guest as he is each and every Tuesday. Folks, go to standeo.com, click on the show images page, and you can follow along uh, with what Stan has researched throughout the week and what he's going to be talking about on the show. We're going to go to Stan in just a second. I want to bring you a quick word from Soul um, one of our partners in this radio show. Um, some of the most overlooked preparations are water and energy. With the real threat of cyber attacks and EMP weapons, you may want to consider the Solark. It is the only EMP hardened battery based solar system available to the public today. The folks at Portable Solar have designed this product with EMP hardening and expandability in mind. This is a veteran-owned Christian company and they stand by their products. You can go to their EMP testing videos on their YouTube channel or by going to their website ww.solarc.us. Most people don't realize how much power they need to run essential items, you know, the refrigerator, your freezer, your washing machine, lights, air conditioning in the summer. And portable solar engineers help you decide what type of backup power you should consider and how to pick a good system, even if it is not their product. If you want a free consultation, you want more education, uh, materials, and to find out more about the product, go to solark.us. That's www.solark.us, or give them a call, 972 575-8875. five seven five eight eight seven five that's soularc.us. dot us. All right. Stan Deo is our guest. Uh Stan comes on every Tuesday, as we just said. I'm pulling I'm looking on the show images page. There's a whole bunch of stuff we're going to get into tonight. Stan, welcome back to the show.
9: Good to be back, guys. I had a little rain today, which was nice to cool off this ninety some odd degree temperature we've had.
2: Yeah, there's been a, a significant what heat wave throughout the Midwest and, and the south. Um not so much where we are, it's kind of it's fallen right under us a little bit, and um you know we've been lacking rain a little bit the last few weeks, but yeah, it's always good when you're in that that type of heat to get that that cool down,
9: yeah, uh, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, as the Bible says, <laughs> you know the the weather, the climate in essence all over the planet is changing, there's no doubt about that um. One of the things I put up on the uh, show images page today at slide 42 is a link to a site that lets you check real time what your UV uh, exposure is in your town, your area. You can also just see the global map there. If you click on it, you can see the map I took a snapshot of about two or three hours ago. And the kind of I guess purple, um, bluish purple haze. Are you there? Yeah, we're here. oh I'm getting some terrible feedback, some reason or another. Are you hearing it on your side? We, no. we just,
1: we just heard a, a, I just heard a little bit of a. Yeah, when you oh, said, okay. that, are you well, the As long as it's not bothering
9: you, I, I don't uh. know what's causing that. But anyway, um, the, um, the map is showing the high levels of ultraviolet radiation across. The United States primarily, I don't know whether this map, uh, you know, if you go to the actual site, which you can do by clicking on the Be Alert text underneath that.
2: You about this cuz I, I don't know if i'm losing my mind or if i was this might be a stupid question i thought the uv index only went up to 10 it, am i wrong in, in it, that
7: it it used to a
9: long time ago um now then they've pushed it to 11 <laughs> and uh, 11 plus which means it could be anywhere you know 12 13 or whatever it's like some of the other records that, um you know um earthquake magnitudes where they've raised the the bar of it if you wish
2: We just heard it we just heard like a, a quick uh high pitched hiccup almost. Yeah. If I can jump in real quick, it's just it's strange to me because I remember being ki- kids and, and, and teenager and and all you know being outside all the time, never putting on sunscreen, never worrying about you know uh, this kind of stuff. And even now, uh, even in today's world, you know, going out and sitting by a pool or on the beach for a while, it, it it's it's hard for me to fathom that people that the sun is, is becoming so dangerous, I guess, is what the the point of this is. Because, I mean, I've never seen in my life so many people uh, complaining about how hot the sun is, people who are doing roofing jobs, getting second-degree burns, you know, just from being up there. I, I've never seen uh, this with the sun, and, and I guess, uh, you know, people have made the argument that the sun used to be yellow, now it's white, and it's changing, whether it's our atmosphere or magneti- magnetosphere that's making it happen. Or you know the chemicals in the, in the uh, ozone, something's changing apparently because a lot of people are noticing it, both in physical effects and just by observation.
9: Yeah, it is more toward the white bluish stage, and you know I had this uh, confirmed by talking to the U.S. Air Force officer in charge of the um, the monitoring of this uh, when I was in Australia, and uh, the major said that since 1992 there have been at least two new um, bandwidth in the ultraviolet range that have started coming out of the sun, and you might kind of yawn and say, okay, that's neat. I I then contacted the uh, the Solar Observatory in Arizona and to the chief scientist there, and we exchanged letters and pictures and photographs and discussions about what he found. And the ultraviolet uh, changes how various life forms, you know, microscopic life forms, um, uh, breed in the ocean um, and these, these increased frequencies that are appearing more than just the two of 1992, these bandwidths, these increased um, UV emissions to me indicate quite clearly, without a doubt, that the nuclear chemistry that makes the sun work is changing and this is not a healthy thing at this point. I think we're going to see changes in the solar irradiance factor, you know how much light it puts out in various uh, bandwidth, and it's certainly already affecting our crops and our rainfall patterns. And they're going to try to continue to blame it like Al Gore has uh, on human endeavors, human uh, activity that creates uh, greenhouse gases and holds the heat in. But this argument just cannot work as the primary cause of this global heating This has happened before in history. You can drill down into ice cores in the uh, Antarctic and see that we've had a spontaneous heating of the planet and increases of of like uh, carbon dioxide, but also the uh, uh, various hydrates, uh, methane hydrates, things that uh, release their gases before humans were even industrialized, a long time ago. Before you know, we were even walking very far across the planet of the Earth. So the argument is really kind of lame as far as blaming it on people and human uh, industry. Um, look look at, uh, at slide 35. Now, this happened over the weekend, and Earthquake, Kim, one of your listeners, and I exchanged quite a few emails back and forth about this. Um, I saw this. Say again?
2: I saw this, Dan. I saw the video of this massive solar eruption on the far side of the sun, and remember thinking, if... If this were even, you know, 45 degrees the other way, especially 90 degrees, it would basically uh, terminate any kind of electronics we ever had on Earth, and who knows what else it would do. This was a massive eruption. I think uh, just on, on a point of, of uh, trigonometry
3: there, if it was 180 degrees, in other words, coming at us instead of going away from us,
9: that, that um, halo or you know, round kind of edge to it is called a halo CME that was going directly away from the Earth. If it had been around on this side, which that spot will be in less than two weeks, you know, probably about 13 days, 12, 13 days, it will be in an Earth-directed position, and if it produces more of this kind of flares and CMEs, what you just suggested may well happen. We may have an interruption to a lot of our electronic processes. you know, depending upon how strong something like this is, it can fry with an EMP all of our electronics on the the, the side of the planet that is facing that. Um, you know, for a, for a brief moment, when this came across, the, the uh, monitoring we have for the solar event, I looked at that and I thought, holy cow, it's heading our way. What have we got, you know, what, uh, 25 hours? I mean, <laughs> I was starting to figure out, what are we going to unplug and, and go to EMP safe? Until I could, uh, you know, get it confirmed that it was definitely uh, ejected away from the Earth, but this is something that is of concern. And seeing these kind of beautiful halo effects tells you when it's coming at you or directly away from you. So, folks, if you uh, go to the uh, slide 35 in, in the text portion, click underneath that, you can see the uh, NASA discussion of this event and saying, well, okay. We missed a big one, but, uh, you know, here's the potential. Anyway, that's, uh, that ties in with our UV slide up
1: there, 42.
2: Um, so Stan, I'm just, are they able to, like when we have Earth-directed CMEs and, and solar flares, they give it value, whether it's, you know, a, a C-class, an X-class. Are they able to determine values for flares that are on the opposite side of the sun?
9: To a degree, yes. Uh, they have... Um, a couple of um, uh, well satellites, or the stereo satellites that one runs ahead of the spin of the sun, and one runs leg, legs behind, so then they get imagery on the back side of the sun and from that I am pretty certain that they can estimate the X or you know, in uh, class or whatever class it is, value they don't have to, to have it on the side facing us
2: Okay yeah, I was just curious to to know if they assigned this one any value and what that was if they had.
9: Okay, and I again, for the second or third week, I guess, in a row, they look at slide 36. You don't have to do it immediately, but it's a FEMA report that's released under the Freedom of Information request that tells that FEMA is expecting solar EMP events that we need to be prepared for, and, and this is a paper that was uh, an inter-department uh, paper that tells them what they are expecting. So if they are telling their people inside to get prepared for this kind of event, and that was years ago, probably what, eight, nine years ago they did this, uh, we really need to be preparing ourselves to endure loss of power. And and this is why, you know, uh, my team, one of them is one of your listeners out there as well, very good friend. Why we're working on developing uh, a way to get electricity from the solar wind, you know, coming out of the sun, hitting our atmosphere, uh, which produces a lot of the electrical and magnetic effects that we see on the planet. We're looking at a, a designing a device that not only gives you the power, but doesn't depend on semiconductors and things that can be damaged by an EMP pulse, whether it comes from the sun or a nuclear bomb. Our fear is that we're we've left our run too late, and this stuff is going to happen before we can get this stuff finished and out to people. Um, we want to design something that's like a like a Model A Ford, where they had to get out in front with a put a crank in the beginning of the engine, you know, at the front there, and give it a couple of real fast twists to start the engine. But it was a mechanical way to start it, and we're looking at a, I guess, like a similar way, at a device.
2: be one of the the most familiar uh, with the the work Tesla did, many people say that he was able to not only find, you know, the the radio signals and and expand that, but that the concept of free energy, uh, something you've been working on, that that was discovered by him, uh, you know, a long time ago, but was suppressed, uh, you know, for purposes of of a number of reasons. Um, Money being one of the most...
9: Think that the planners they were looking at a way to set up a new world order uh, and wanted to fool the people of Earth into thinking new technologies had come from you know space from elder brothers or whatever they sequestered a lot.
2: Discovery that would be uh, to be well, able to Well, it,
9: it is there. I mean, look, if you look down at the third
2: world nations, uh, third world countries, and, and countries, underdeveloped countries. Just the, the prospect of having, you know, energy that you don't have to plug into a grid or a, a main source, you know, company source to get, I think that would change the world.
9: Uh, it is it going there, to be right. earth shaking. And if we looked at these uh, third world countries uh, and, you know, the shortage of water and power.
2: Yeah, and that's uh, you know very promising uh, to hear you talk about it and uh, just the fact that you're you're one of the people you know look going over this research and trying to uh, rediscover how that that process works of, of just grabbing energy grabbing energy from the atmosphere and I believe it can be done I've seen we've seen some things uh, even um, a year and a half ago me and my dad uh, were with a gentleman who showed us a way to a, a free energy concept. Is what it was, and it was fascinating to to watch. But hopefully, well, look, we um, go ahead. Yeah, well, one of our team members up in in uh, Canada has
3: actually, you know, played with an underground, like a buried uh, cable that he was
9: pulling up uh, from a site he was work, uh, demolishing, and he was able to get a spark, an arc that was, you know, every time he'd press on, like, tack, tack, tack. We measured from his uh, description of the length of the arc that was. of the resistance, I guess, the easiest way, the resistance of the atmosphere, if you lower the impedance of it, you can cause energy, electrical energy, to flow into your antenna. And the more that you draw from it, the bigger the field becomes and the more you can draw up to the hysteresis point of your antenna. So, it,
2: That's fascinating. Yeah. Stan, we're, so we're right is. up against it the is. break. Uh, okay, sorry. Yeah, I want to I want to pick up here when we when we come back because this is fascinating stuff. Folks, you're listening to Standale, standale.com is the website. Check out the show images page, you can follow along with what we're talking about. We'll be right back with Stan after this break. Don't go anywhere.
1: Folks, I'm going to direct your attention to masterpreps.com. Masterpreps.com. Wow, uh, masterpreps.com, uh, the sponsor of our show. Masterpreps.com. That's masterpreps.com. Take a visit there. High quality items, made in America items. I mean, anything, everything you could possibly want from uh, cooking uh, utensils, uh, cooking frying pans. To, I mean, it is. It'll blow you away. Absolutely, said. It's insane. I mean, wow. Look.
8: We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We are offering 25% off our must-have American Heritage Army Kit. It contains twelve homeopathic remedies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either. But they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues, and so can you. Check out our American Heritage journeys kit at www.changelisthewoods.com. Your life may depend on it. <laughs>
2: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman Report. Stan Dayo is our guest. We were, uh, just before the break, we're going to continue where we left off. Stan, you were talking about uh, the art, art bell and the antenna he had on his uh, shortwave Ham radio. Ham radio, okay. And the, the amount of voltage that that was picking up and the ability for it to even generate more uh, than what it was picking up.
9: Yeah. Well, uh, basically... It's like um I, 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 I compare the process to to like taking a gallon of gasoline that you need to um, siphon into your tank. And you can set that gallon of gasoline up on a little stool up, up a little bit higher than your car or a window there so that you can get the height. But you can put a siphon hose in it and stick it into your, your tank opening and stand there all day waiting for something to happen until you actually uh, jiggle it a little bit and cause some of the gasoline to go down the tube into your um, tank to a lower level, you know, from the surface of the earth. Until you do that, the stuff won't flow. But once you do that, then you can even open the diameter of your hose and more and more energy will come or, or gasoline will come through the hose Once you start the effect, you've got to trick it into starting. You've got to find a a place for it to flow to from where it is. It's obviously not going to flow through the gasoline tank.
2: Uh, very interesting.
3: I want to see some of the
9: other stuff we're de- designing. I mean, <laughs> uh, it's been crazy. But anyway, yeah, we're we're cutting new ground on a lot of this stuff.
2: Yeah, that's that's awesome. And if anybody can do it, Stan, I'd say you're the one who'd be able to, well, to figure this out.
9: Me and my team, uh, they're a bunch of good guys. Uh, each has their own contribution to what we're doing.
2: Yeah, that's that's wonderful, um, Stan. Moving forward to something we mentioned in the beginning of the show, uh, show images number forty-one: the significant decline in sperm counts in the Western uh, world by almost fifty to sixty percent. Did you
9: mention that in the show? Did you?
2: Yeah, we we mentioned it a little bit. And you know, what's interesting about the study is the even though they weren't looking for the causes, they attributed it to the the way we live, the chemicals that we uh, ingest, whether in the air, the water, the food, or whatever, uh, was one of their main areas of saying this is why this is happening.
9: Hmm. I don't know that that's entirely uh, it, because the the, area is not affected so much at all by this, you know, were South America, Africa, and Asia. Now, Asia, you know, talk about eating stuff. (laughs) If you look at China in Japan, the pollution from various other sources for well, decades has been such that it's a wonder that they don't come down with all kinds of diseases in these countries.
2: is Is this something once it happens to a person or is this something that's been passed down over generations through a slow process or is this something that's happening all at once and if it is happening all at once will this kind of um, information be passed down if people are able to have kids to their children or is that uh, we don't know yet how that works
9: well it's to the male children in particular that we're, we're looking at um, I, I don't know it depends on what it's causing. If it's a chemistry thing that affects the DNA uh, of the individual, then yes, it could possibly be passed down as a, a DNA trait. Uh, but it's like disappearing the population after a finite amount of time. There won't be anybody left because you won't have enough people, you know, reproduced. Until we find out the, the major factor in this, I don't know how to answer that question accurately.
2: Yeah, I guess it's kind of an unfair question. We don't even have... Hardly any of the information, except the statistic about uh, what the the sperm counts are, and hopefully they'll be able to further uh, break this down to find out, you know, at least generally what the causes are, whether it is what you said, if if it's environment versus if it's our own actions or inactions. It's an
9: imperative. It's an imperative written into our DNA code to reproduce, to survive, to be fruitful and multiply, as the Bible says when people start to have the mental attitude of, oh, we don't need to have children, that's a pain in the neck, you know, we'll have one or two, you know, if we have to, but it's more fun to just, you know, play in life. When that kind of attitude comes across, then the the male mind may say, well, okay, I don't need to produce as many sperm because we're not really looking forward to having kids, you know, and it may be a psychological thing as well that is affecting this. I tried to figure out a number of ways, things that might be causing that, and you know, just like you, I, I, I'm puzzled by this. Interesting.
2: Hmm. All right, Stan, where do you wanna where do you wanna go from here?
9: Well, an interesting thing that Holly found in her news search yesterday was uh, slide thirty-seven, where the, the uh, LGBT group activist, um you know, throw throw mud at the Christian ministry that uh, has rebuilt the Ark of Noah. They throw mud at them because they're using rainbow lights along the Ark, Noah's Ark, uh, to try to grab back the beautiful thing that the rainbow is as opposed to it being a symbol for a bunch of quite sinful individuals, uh, you know, in my opinion anyway, in the Bible's opinion. And uh, this article, if you click on that, that will... It'll show you the discussion on it about uh, how the, well, the, the kind of gay community is opposed to uh, this museum, which is built the Noah's Ark, using the rainbow as part of the scriptural thing where God put it in heaven the heavens as a sign to man that it wouldn't destroy the earth by water again. It's a beautiful photo. If you click on it, you can see that it's of a real object, uh, as best they could determine, made to the scale of Noah's Ark, and it's not just, if you go to image 38, you can see it during the daytime without the rainbow lights on it, but it's not just uh, a shell, you know, an ark. This thing has compartments inside of it to hold, you know, a rhinoceros or a bird or whatever. And as we discussed, gosh, what was it, two or three weeks ago, Noah didn't have to have every single version of a sparrow, you know, or bird. He had to have the DNA of the general uh, type of animal we're talking about because from that, you can adaptively mutate uh, that that uh, DNA of, say, a bird into all kinds of birds. So we didn't have to have every bird, every tiger, every cat, because cat is, you know, feline covers uh, lions, uh, tigers, you know, all this kind of stuff that are cat-like. They all have a basic DNA pattern, which is modified uh, by environment and, and uh, to become whatever they are. Uh, we see this today. So this art could well have held all of the DNA packages that we need for the major animals uh, of the planet. Now, you go into this museum, there's, there's one up in uh, oh, Cincinnati, I think, it's a, a sister or brother type uh, museum to this, but if you click on the text there, it takes you to their Website and you can see that they have they have really developed this thing as a well like a, a teaching tool to people want to know about the truth about Noah's Ark. And you go inside of it, and they've got models of uh, Noah and his wife and doing various things. And they've got cages for various types of animals with animals in there, but they're just like stuffed animals. And I am I'm a big supporter of this flood concept, as you know, I. I found Atlantis, and I found what caused the flood. So to me, this is just like, you know, wonderbar that someone has done this. And even though I haven't been to this uh, Arc museum, the Creation Museum, I love it. It, It's just what a wonderful witness tool it is to show people that it's not myth. Uh, You know, I I listened to someone on Coast to Coast uh, with Holly last night. Uh, No need to bring names into it, but trying to a learned point of view trying to put down a lot of these things as pure myth not to worry about it and you know from a supposed christian scientist type person and it really concerned me that that kind of attitude is you know being spread out there at the same time as the truth that we have here is it's just a
2: worry yeah and those pictures of that that replica of noah's ark are are great they're fantastic and aren't they beautiful And, you know, something that's interesting that people don't... I wonder if... I would say, you know, 95% of secular people don't know the story, the biblical story behind the rainbow. And that's why it's been, you know, able to be co-opt, you know, by the homosexual movement. But it's good to see that it's being taken back by some some Christians, uh, whether it's a church or museum. But I think for the most part, people are now they don't want the stigma that comes along with it and that's probably what is probably what is um, keeping many from, from, from doing that
9: and there are those of us that are trying to reverse that trend and kill that stigma but as hard as we try the the fake news is ignoring it or poo-pooing it look at the yeah. photo of the day uh, on our website if you go over to standao.com and look at the photo of the day it's of a picture we've got uh, hanging on our wall as well but Holly put that up there to show about the rainbow and some beautiful artwork uh, by Tom Dubois, Um, and uh, there you see it. The Dubois family and the Deo family were neighbors uh, when we settled uh, the uh, uh, state of New York uh, in 1645, I think it was, so it it is particularly great for us to see one of the Dubois uh,
2: family members paint such a beautiful picture. That is uh, that is an awesome picture, uh, folks. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see what Stan's referring to, and that's um, you know when you when you think about how far back that was in time, and you almost want to try to envision what it was like. Uh, but that's that's a great image that captures, uh, I think, a lot of what people wonder about. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, uh,
3: too, uh, Earthquake Kim and I and a couple of us have been exchanging emails this week about the
9: Yellowstone uh, uh, and, uh you know, the swarm of quakes they had, and then the swarm of quakes up in Montana. And there is an article, which you can link to, that's like 40, uh, and it does say that there will be a swarm of earthquakes that will precede the eruption at Yellowstone, but it doesn't say that it's going to happen tomorrow, you know, or next week or whatever. Um, it is saying that that is a signal, and we're aware of that and so watching swarms, people should always pay attention to swarms of earthquakes, whether it be in Southern California, whether it be in Montana or you know Yellowstone or wherever, especially where there's a volcano nearby, because this may be indicative of changes in the the magma path underneath the surface of the earth heading up toward the you know to the volcanic uh, cone um
3: if you look at things like Yellowstone seismographs, one of the things that, that, that tells
9: you magma is moving is you'll see regularly spaced little, uh, like mini earthquakes, you know, like a Richter 1 to 2, and they are like da, duh da, duh, duh. but uh, in between the dust might be about um, 7 to 12 minutes, and those are the magma kind of moving up through an old tube, uh old magma chamber tube and hanging or catching on the walls as it moves up like rubber over glass. Boom boom boom. So that's what you look for on those. I don't see any signs of anything to worry about at this point in time, so I just thought I'd put that up there and, you know, address the giant in the room, but that's that's what it is. And we'll keep looking for other signals, uh, you know, you know, swarms and things that would tell us that we're expecting either a big earthquake or a volcano. But until we get, you know, positive information on it, I wouldn't get too excited about that. On another issue, down slide 39, you know, we've talked about this a number of times, about the uh, Revelation 12, uh, where you have the the virgin and uh, the crown of 12 stars above her head. And I wanted to update the work I've done on that by this image I've put in there today, which if you click on it, it'll zoom up to real size. And I went back to August the 15th, 2 B.C., because that's when the other time this formation appeared where we had uh, the nine stars of the Leo constellation above Virgo and three planets, uh, Jupiter and Venus and Mercury uh, residing in that formation right around it as part of it so it could uh, form a crown of 12 stars and the Sun is uh, above her head as so the Virgins closed in the sunlight and the Moon is at her feet. But it's not as tight as what we see in uh, this year, the 23rd of September. Now, I don't know whether this formation occurred around the time of the birth of Christ. Certainly, it would be uh, earlier, you know, than you know people think at zero AD. That that's when he was born. But he was at least two years old when the wise men came to him. So, by various other methods, you can determine that. But
1: Uh, two, two things I just want to mention, because I, I got a couple of emails um, when we talked about this before. There's a difference, folks, between astrology and astronomy, okay? Understand that. Just everyone has got to understand that, okay?
2: Yeah, look up the definitions for yeah. the clarification. So, so, so,
1: so some of the most ignorant comments, uh, uh, we, God created the heavens. Put the stars in their places for uh, a reason, so we could tell the t-
9: signs and times.
1: T- that's right, exactly. So you know, if if you intend to uh, fire off another comment about astrology, right? Uh, s- I mean, s- astrology- just save us trouble, because I'm just going to delete it.
2: I mean, yeah, don't do
1: it. I mean, look,
9: this is so far from astrology; it's not even funny. Um, exactly. When I was in Israel, I uh, went up to the north, or uh, kind of the northeast of it, in the Beisan area. And uh, I visited uh, a synagogue that was probably made three or four hundred a d somewhere in there on the floor, but the entire floor of the synagogue and, and all the seats surrounded it was a, a constellation map of the twelve major constellations, not all this other stuff the astrologers work with. These were in order as as the if you look up in the heavens as we spin around the the North star, they put it in there as an important, Thing as messages, or a message full of a, of, full of a lot of sub-messages by the names of the stars in these constellations, to mankind as to the progress of mankind on the earth and to the fulfillment of God's plan for mankind. We're now approaching the end of it, where the, the ends of the uh, the start of the, of the twelve signs meets the tail end, um, and. For that reason, the fact that it's in the synagogues, uh, the ancient synagogues, tells me that the message in the stars is correct. There have been a number of scholars for the last 150, 200 years that have addressed the names of the individual stars in these constellations, not only in English, but Arabic, uh, but uh, Hebrew. I mean, there are a number of the ancient languages. You pick a star in in a constellation and you say, what's the name in, you know, uh, Sumerian, or Babylonian, or you know, Greek or whatever, and you'll find that the name, although it may, although it may be different uh, sounding, it the meaning of the name of that star is the same, and so the stars within a constellation of the twelve major ones, the star's name tells part of the story that happens in that age of the of the uh, the creation of man and the fulfillment of man that is coming. Um, what I did find interesting. In in looking at the Virgo formation, is that the the planet Jupiter was one of the three planets that made the twelve stars in the crown of the Virgin in uh, two BC. When you get to now, to our time, the stars that make up the three extra ones in the constellation of Leo are Mercury, Mars, and Venus. Whereas Jupiter, Jupiter's now down at kind of. Mid-thigh of the, the virgin. And, uh, I talked with a woman, one of your listeners, uh, you know, by email, about the meaning of that star Heza, which I, I did have a, a you know, a, an article about down in slide, uh, 24 and, uh, 20. And she said, you know, that it's, it's like a, a, the return of the Messiah, you know, to vanquish his enemies. So this formation in our time, the message may well indicate Jupiter, the the ruling king thing, may be the turn of the king to dispose of his enemy, you know, which is Satan and his minion. Anyway, um, how would people of all these different cultures look up at the stars at night and say, oh, there's the shape of a man and there's the shape of an urn. Someone taught them this. All the older cultures had the, the model taught to them so that it would not go away, so that man could not pervert what the message of the stars was. Uh, You know, it's a message from God written up there that you won't see unless someone tells you, you know, these three stars are in Orion's belt, which is the belt around, you know, you see what I'm saying? These things don't leap at it if you look up at the stars. They were planned.
2: Yeah, and and, you know, I still, uh, it's a fascinating topic of discussion, and One thing that, when you were just saying that, Stan, especially about Orion, that came to mind is sometimes I'll find myself watching that ancient alien show just because I like to see how how much of the Bible they throw in there. Then they all all attribute everything to extraterrestrials. But this is one I watched uh, maybe a few days or weeks ago. It was about, you know, the pyramids from Egypt to to Mexico to places across the world that, um, you know, had these setups that all aligned with the orion's belt and and that's one of the arguments they made that you know how is it that civilizations thousands of miles away hundreds and, and thousands of years ago have the same you know astrological or a uh, setup with the way that they aligned uh, their buildings their pyramids and different things so there is something to what you're saying at least as as far as uh, knowledge being passed down or or shared i believe
9: yeah, you know, some of these cultures, uh, I do watch the same show for the same reason you do, but some of these cultures pointing to Orion as the place that God came from, or the gods, the uh, demigods or whatever, uh, they looked up uh, or were taught that that's where they came from. But some of the cultures say, no, they came from the Milky Way, which is not part of the Orion's Belt. But anyway, they're all saying up and out there. And... Uh, I do watch how they pervert the truth of the Bible in that uh, the history channel it's amazing.
2: Yeah it is they do it uh constantly. I mean they'll take you know 10 points 10 out of 10 points from the Bible and then just make the leap no matter what it is they're talking about of oh, well, what just it was the same you thing. Know, yeah, it's crazy, and I watch it for the entertainment value. I mean, they they do a good job in putting stuff together and whatnot, but it's just ridiculous how they attribute everything to aliens and how they're so dogmatic about not believing the Bible, but taking everything in the Bible and using it to make their arguments about aliens. It good is good point,
5: uh, really a good yeah, point. Yeah, it's
2: crazy. Yeah, Stan, we yeah. uh we've reached the end of the show already. Um, we got about a minute left, so. Okay. Yeah. Hey, uh, um yeah. The image that you were just talking about, the the sign in the sky, I know a lot of people are keeping their eye on that. And uh we'll probably have to talk about this more as we get closer to this date. So just something to uh, there's a lot of interest, I guess is what I'm saying.
3: In yeah. This topic. Well,
9: I'll do some more research on it as, as others are doing. Um uh, but um I'm standing on the shoulders of other people that have uh, already figured this out and, and uh, brought it to our attention. In uh, slide 43, just quickly, just for fun later, if you click on that. Uh, All right. Where is that? Let me just get to that uh, website thing there. Slide 43. What do you see?
2: I see a bunch of different pictures of uh, some drawings, mm-hmm. you holding a... uh it looks like a replica of the drawings Mm -hmm. there's a little uh, explanation there yeah people wonder what I've been doing in my spare time eh? this is it (laughs) and it dates back
9: to um, uh, an image from 1890 uh, a British test of a new kind of cannon shell and from that really yeah from and it would go a long way much longer than a normal ball shaped thing and if you look closely at this this is the secret of what I started with and that's why I got recruited to go to Teller's project and then I've, uh, after that I started using it, adapting it to water and air and eventually I saw that NASA's uh, forecast for warp drives uh, follows the same technique I'm using here. In essence, it says you push uh, fuel or exhaust or whatever you want to call it, the field, you push it ahead of your craft and it actually drags you behind. It drags you forward, lowering the resistance. So you can go many times at the speed of light. Believe it or not, but that will come out. And, and this is just to show you, folks, well, that, that I don't kind of sit around here daydreaming. I do actually do things.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fascinating, Stan. We are absolutely out of time. We'll have to okay. get into this a little bit next week. But thank yes. you so much. Wow. And until then, stay safe. God bless. And tell Holly we said hello. And you have a great uh, week. Thank you. Lord no. bless you now. All right, that'll do it for us. Until tomorrow, stay safe. God bless. Have a great night.